The following recording is a production of Kicking Out at Two in conjunction with the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network and is intended for private use only. For more information, head on over to facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two or our Twitter handle at kicking out two, along with searching Retromania with a W on any and all podcast platforms available to listen to archive shows such as this and all the great content of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. Evergreen content at your fingertips anytime at your listening pleasure. And with that being said, we thank you for listening and hope you enjoy the show. If it's a secret no longer, you voted for it, you won in the polls. Starcade 88 here for our end of the year kicking out at two. Not so secret Santa watch along here as we close out 2023. Uh, Doing it a little differently this time around. Normally, um, you know, I'm set up at my, my, my desk with all my equipment, but this time uh, we're actually in the living space of the basement with the TV and joining me uh, since it's the holiday season, a festive one that is. Uh, both of my brothers, avid wrestling fans, Justin and Daryl Rosenbluth here as we're going to watch Starcade 88. Welcome, fellas. Hey, th- hey, Dave. Thank you so much for having me. It's been quite a long while. Yeah, it has. It has been a while. Yeah, I got my Duncan here. I'm just hanging out. Uh, we'll watch a little bit of wrestling and just kind of, you know, chop it up. I thought it would be rather. I thought it'd be better if we were sitting in comfort as opposed to over there. Then you know you're in not so comfortable chairs. We're on you know couches here, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we got the Christmas tree in the background, the ambiance, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, yeah, just uh, you know, tried to go a little different here with this no, but it's cool i got a little mr kennedy vibe here you can't see me but i got the, the <laughs> microphone right here or mr anderson whoever okay. you know he was over as kennedy not as anderson that's for sure um but anyways uh so originally i i chose as the theme's been for the last you know year or so we've covered uh moments from 1988 1993 1998 2003 and 2008 didn't really cover a whole lot of 2003 or 2008 this year. Um, so, uh, But we put up the December pay-per-views from those respective years in the polls. And originally, across social media, Starcade and um, both Starcades, 88, 93, and Rock Bottom were in a three-way tie. So I brought the polls back again, and you guys brought it, and you decided on Starcade 88. So we're going to watch that on the Peacock. Uh, so... Get your cock geared up. I mean, excuse me, your peacock. And you will search for Starcade Season 6, Episode 1 from 1988. It goes 2 hours, 52 minutes, and 49 seconds. Um, might do a bathroom break because I'm sure we're going to need it. So uh, I'll give you guys a timestamp from, from time to time. May turn the audio up. Uh, but uh, overall, we're going to be talking about events that had taken place around this time of year in 1988, as well as talking about wrestling as a whole in 2023. So we'll have plenty to discuss uh, as we watch this this match, or sorry, this this pay-per-view back with all of you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you guys a countdown, and when I say play, press play, and we will be on our way with this not-so-secret Santa festive watch-along here to end out kicking out at two for 2023. So are you fellas ready? I'm all aboard. All aboard. All right, let's, let's do it. There you go. Let's roll with it. All right, so in three, two, one, hit play. And we open with graphics um, from you know hyping up the main matches. Like you see Lex Luger racking Ric Flair. I believe that was from Great American Bash. 1988, uh, earlier in the year. Um, this was a rematch. Uh, the, the, this will headline this Starcade event rematch here. Um, 
as well as we see Bam Bam Bigelow slamming um, a Barry Windham to set up their uh, United States Championship match. That's going to be an interesting match uh, to watch, two different styles. And then probably the more controversial of the angles heading into Starcade was when the Road Warriors, who were beloved heroes, turned heel on Dusty Rhodes. Um, something that, as a kid, I didn't expect. Uh, we'll talk more about that as uh, time goes on. But uh, ironically enough, this is the first pay-per-view, the first major event um, following the sale of Jim Crockett Promotions to Turner. Yeah. Okay, makes sense. And uh, renaming it World Championship Wrestling, WCW. Um, got some interesting tidbits here regarding... Now, if I'm looking correctly, as while you're looking at those little tidbits, this is the, the spot here, the spike spot that got Dusty... Yes, we're going to talk about that. There's some okay. there, there's some news and yeah. notes that uh, true grit with two T's. That doesn't. Yeah, that doesn't you mind just holding the mic up a little closer? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sure. I mean, whenever you guys can pass it back and forth, you know, whenever. How's this? Is this better? Yeah, yeah, you're good. Yeah, you're good. Um, so some of these notes are from Meltzer and the Observer, who I really don't find credible, but um, you know, this is what was going on in the world of wrestling media at the time in 1988, um, according to the Wrestling Observer, Jack Petrick. Of TBS was interviewed for Weekly Fight Magazine and had a few things to say about how things are going to be run under the new regime. He said that Jim Crockett and an unnamed other party will run the company day to day. And if Crockett wants Dusty to stay on as the booker, Dusty will stay on as booker. The bulk of the interview focused on his desire for more talent trading between the states and Japan. And it looks like Flair may be going to Japan in February. Speaking of Flair, a source with Dave Meltzer found reliable in the past says the odds of Flair and Steamboat happening is unlikely. Um... Kind of ironic that, uh, you know, Meltzer, who is kind of a fan of that style of wrestling between Flair and Steamboat, didn't seem to think that that was going to transpire. But here we have Tony Schiavone. And then it did transpire. Let's yes, and it did. Yes, so not just, just you know, almost two months later. Yeah. Um, Tony Schiavone, the host with Magnum TA. Now, got a question for you, fellas. In hindsight, um, you know, both of you were not. I mean, Daryl, I think you were what two months old at this point, right? Uh, I believe I was like one years old because I was born in '87. You were born in '87. Okay, yes. small world. Really? <laughs> I thought you were born in '88. Nope, '87. I'm okay. 36, so. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, there goes my math. All right. So, anyways, long story short, so you were one years old at this point, one year and two months old. Um. Justin, you weren't even out of the womb yet at this point. But in hindsight, looking back, um, do you think Magnum TA had he not? Do you think he? What kind of impact would he have had on the industry and Jim Crockett Promotions? And would it would it would that have affected and Jim Crockett Promotions? And would it would it would that have affected the sale of the company to Turner? You can take that one, Daryl, if you want. Well. Um... You know, if he hadn't had that accident, if he had won the NWA title, I think, you know, he would have been this close up to up to Hogan, not way up than Hogan was when he was. The so champion. he would have been their most popular guy, you think? Yeah. In Crockett. OK. Yeah. All right. What about you, Justin? Yeah, I think probably that like he would have been the next guy to get that that opportunity. Definitely. Um, I don't think that affects the sale of the company, whether, you know, they were still losing money. They still had to make a sale. Yeah. Still had to kind of do things to um, 
to you know they still they still felt like they had to do what they had to do from a business standpoint yeah i don't think the 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 what we saw on television was a reflection of that to be you know so the product wasn't necessarily a reason for the downfall it was more or less the business and the financials in your what i understand i mean like look at they're they're selling places out they just in arenas yeah yeah like they have like you know exposure on a on a cable network that everybody had Access, eyes on yeah so it wasn't about that it was about the other stuff as best i can understand and as the stories have been told so i don't think it's really um again it didn't matter if it was flair magnum sting luger like the company was going in that direction for whatever other reasons other than to make sure that you know the crockett family you know got paid okay um as we see here, Kevin Sullivan and Dr. F. Steve Williams of the Varsity Club set the challenge for the United States Tag Team titles against the Fantastics, Tommy Rogers and Bobby Fulton. Um, didn't have a whole lot of exposure watching these guys growing up. I remember them from the Mapter magazines, but they seemed like a, um, a cheap knockoff version of the Rock and Roll Express, kind of like the heartthrob, you know, white meat baby face. Um, presentation, you know, the girls down south seem to, I mean, they they seem to like, oh, look at Bill Apter, a young Bill Apter walking by in the camera. That was pretty neat. Um, but um, I want to talk a little bit about um, some, you know, some things that went on in 2023. Um, mainly, let's talk, let's go to the month of January. Um, as we're about a month away from the 2024 Royal Rumble, uh, 2023 Royal Rumble took place, and Cody Rhodes won. Um, uh, Vince, Vince McMahon, McMahon returned, returned as the chairman of WWE, and um, a lot took place in the month of January. And um, a lot took place in the month of January. Share with me your thoughts on the 2023 Rumble. I was in attendance. I won't, you know, spoil it for everybody, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But share with me your thoughts on the 2023 Rumble and how that really kind of set things in motion for the year that WWE would eventually have. Um, I think that, you know, the event, it was interesting because I, I was a little bit surprised. Usually the show ends with the Royal Rumble, right? The, it ended with the main event match with Roman and Owens. The angle with Sami Zayn. Yeah, which was all, that was the right move. Yeah, it was designed so that way, yeah. I think between that and Cody winning the Royal Rumble, like those, Roman, he's doing just fine. So I think just, is that emblematic of, of a new booking strategy in WWE or just a different commitment? Roman, he's doing just fine. So I think just, is that emblematic of, of a new booking strategy in WWE or just a different commitment? He's doing just fine. So I think just is that emblematic of, of a new booking strategy in WWE or just a different commitment? Is that emblematic of, of a new booking strategy in WWE or just a different commitment to those talents after they reach those high points? Who knows those things were that you can find those things being important moments that still mean something, even though they only got better from they only got better from there another thing too real yeah. quick is uh rhea ripley and winning the Royal rumble yep. right? going from number one and running the gambit going coast to coast running yep. the table however you and running the gambit going coast to coast running yep. the table however you want to you know label it yep um it, you know the, the leading to the great match at wrestlemania uh you could argue she may be the 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 other than a roman reigns per se but given her workload and come you know, I'm glad to see that, and she's still as good and as strong as anybody on the women's roster, without question. And it really, in many ways, 
anybody on the women's roster without question. And, and it really, in many ways, ramped up right there at the Royal Rumble. Yeah. Hell, with the Sami Zayn angle at the end of the show with Roman. Um, it definitely had everybody talking. Like, my, you know, my wife, Nikki, and I were leaving the arena show with Roman. Um, it definitely had everybody talking. Like, my, you know, my wife, Nikki, and I were leaving the arena and um, everyone was just, you know, all of a sudden got their creative fantasy booking caps on. And it's like, oh, Sammy's going to wrestle him at Chamber. And then, you know, he's going to, they're going to set something up where it's, you know, like Daniel Bryan all over again. And, you know, I could kind of understand the, the thought process as to how they were going to get to that path. Um, yeah, because you know, the, just the, the the character that Sami Zayn represented, he was very similar with the underdog theme, like a Daniel Bryan. Um, um, the opening with the men's Rumble match, I thought was kind of neat. Uh, I hadn't seen a Royal Rumble event open up with a Royal Rumble match, so I thought it really kind of set the tone. Um, in some ways, I thought it hurt the women's match, the women's Rumble match, because um, having been there. You know, and my wife doesn't watch like she used to with me, so she probably knew about like five people in the match between like Asuka, Nia Jax, Becky, right, uh, right. Bailey, you know, maybe a couple of others. Uh, but for the most part, like, you know, where we were seated, we were the, like the second to last row in the lower bowl of the, of the Alamo Dome, and the overhang from the section above us, we couldn't see the screen, but we could see the ring perfectly. So... Right. Unless you knew who the person was with, based on their, their entrance music, you didn't really have an idea who it was. And from being in the arena during that particular match with the girls, um, there was only a handful of strong reactions from the audience. And everybody else was just like a Zoe Stark or a Roxanne Perez from NXT or you know countless other NXT girls. You didn't have a whole lot of... Um, even well, I, I shouldn't say this, but Chelsea Green even got a, a pretty decent reaction. She just returned to the company right. at that time. Um, but the the women's roster at that time, I just felt um, if you weren't established enough on the um, on the women's roster, then people didn't really have an idea or have a, a strong connection with you. Like I said, with the exception of like the five or six women that came out, which got like Oscar got a pretty big pop. Nia Jax got a strong reaction being at number 30. Um, even like a Liv Morgan, Bailey, yeah. you know, names like that who had been established and built up some credibility. So I thought the men's match as great as it was. And I mean, I was out of my seat pretty much the whole time during that match because it sure. was just, you know, um, you know all the all the current top names at the time in WWE in that match. I just thought it was a really good assemblance of of stars and talent in the in the men's match. I felt like it kind of hurt the women's match a little bit. Um, maybe that's just because of the way the women's roster is structured. But um, when I, Rio when Rio won, it, she got a pretty good pop. Yeah, and I was gonna say I feel like to your point that makes it seem more clear now as I, as I think about it that like given how you know. Rhea winning and how she performed and how they slotted her in that match, you could almost argue it was somewhat of a showcase match for Rhea Ripley. And yeah, that was the whole that was the whole design. Yeah, much in the way that you look at like Flair's '92 Royal Rumble and things like that. Yeah. Um, but you know what? It, it is interesting the point about again, like how you mentioned, not a lot of the talents getting really any type of particular reactions, which is like the death now for anybody. Yeah, it would be interesting to go back. Or not to go back, but when this year's Women's Royal Rumble pops up, to to gauge that a year later, 
You know what I mean? Almost like a litmus test. Like, all right, yeah. how are these talents, especially the ones that were in last year's and that end up being in this year's, saying like, all right, how was their reaction this year to, compared to last year that may have not been so great? I mean, I think it was also a, a, a combination of, you know, and I don't know this for a fact, but um, at that time, you know, the, you were a few weeks removed of Vince McMahon returning to power right. as the chairman. So I would imagine that he knowing I'm not going to you know lose sleep over it like most of these neckbeards on <laughs> on the internet that that go crazy over it. The minute they read something from I'm not going to you know lose sleep over it like most of these neckbeards on on the internet that that go crazy over it. The minute they read something from Meltzer's on on the internet that that go crazy over it. The minute they read something from Meltzer, it's gospel um, when it comes to Vince. The bad shit out of the way, and let's just touch on. The, the the passings this year the, the those that are no longer with us away and let's just touch on the the, the passings this year the, the those that are no longer with us that have passed just touch on the the passings this year the those that are no longer with us that have passed in the world of wrestling um, in 2023 uh, uh, superstar Billy Graham Bray Wyatt the Iron Sheik Bushwhacker Butch Jerry Jarrett Jay Briscoe Draws, Lanny Poffo, and Terry Funk all passing away. Daryl, I'll start with you. Which death in wrestling this year in 2023 had the most impact on you? Which one Which one affected you the most? Oh, no question about it, Bray Wyatt. Yeah. I mean, I mean Bray Wyatt, you know, I mean, God bless him. He's a third-generation wrestler, and, you know, he's the, the grandson of um, Blackjack Mulligan. Yeah, Blackjack yep. Mulligan, and he's the the son of uh, IRS Mike Rotundo. Yep. And you know who he we'll re- see on the show later. Yeah, and he was, you know, I had to say, you know, when he started doing the gimmick, you know, because before that, you know, before he did Bray Wyatt, he was known as Husky Harrison uh, from NXT. Yeah. And when he became Bray Wyatt, you know, it was just like he's this uh, dark looking bearded guy, and he's you know insane, and you know he really re- made the character, you know, so lovable and believable by the fans whether he's a heel or a baby face yeah yeah and you're I, right and he became a world champion three times and you know i mean same with the rock you know he a third generation wrestler as well as randy orton so he's up there with those guys yeah and you know, it's a it's just a damn shame you know and sad you know because he was 36 and of course you know he and i were are the same age and it's just really sad that someone you know just his life was taken very soon. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he, was, he was. He was. It sounded it like sounded he was like on to great, great things in the second run, run this time this around in WWE. WWE, um, you know, WWE, um, you know, cut short. Um, but uh, you know, Justin, share your thoughts on. Yeah, no, I think I think I would have to probably agree to, in, in, in many regards, not to not to keep it stagnant in a lot of ways here. Yeah, Daryl made a great point, like being the same age, right? Like. You know, we're all more or less in the same age group. Yep. So, and to have someone in your age pass away, yeah, it it, 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 it does hit differently. Yeah. And then to have it be someone, you know, I hate to even use the idea that it's someone as talented because it doesn't matter about their talent. Yeah. But as a fan, you, you, we we yearn for this guy to, to break through. Yes. From the from the minute like Daryl like Daryl said, Bray Wyatt's character came about. Yeah. We we kind of looked at him as like, oh, is he the next Undertaker? That ominous character that can kind of come the in and mythical out. dark figure. Yeah, yeah. Like we all looked at that as as and, and really hoped even in that first round, like God break through, and then he got released, and it was like a shame, and then he came back, and it was all good. And then he disappeared again, and it was like people were wondering. There's a lot of there was a lot of concern, and then this just and then 
it's just still, hit out of nowhere. Yeah, it, yeah. So yeah, it was it was definitely one that I think that hit me uh, pretty hard too. Um, another one I think that that hit me pretty hard, not be, for a different reason, was Terry Funk. Yes, which happened around the same time. To me, it's like Terry a week Funk, apart. I think week or two. Yeah, apart. Terry Funk. I feel like to me was a guy that. Um, you know, his body of work doesn't get talked about enough in terms of being one of the all-time greats, you know, in terms of what he was able to do, how long he was able to do it for, how he reinvented himself, you know, for our generation, yeah. you know, in terms of being hardcore ECW, you know, and all of that. I think, you know, again, that, that's just a guy who you just, he just doesn't get, he, I hope in, 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 in now his absence, we'll be able to appreciate Terry Funk's career in the business and life if you want to say it that way more because of the impact that you could see it's he's had on other people it's interesting you, you you made that point because for a long time i didn't see what everybody else saw in terry funk i thought right. he was a talented performer but when people talked about the greatest of all time i was just like what are you talking about like he's great yeah but like you know i just didn't take him seriously at times with and i like i don't know what it was but then after he passed, I had listened to an episode of Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. And Bruce talked about, you know, growing up in Texas and watching, you know, the Funks and, you know, all these other, you know, major names. And um, I was able to, 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 I don't know, whatever it was, I just, it, it just kind of resonated with me at that point. I was like, all right, maybe I should kind of pay a little bit more attention to what Funk contributed. Not saying that he didn't contribute anything to the business by any stretch of the imagination and how selfless he was because yeah. I think that, that that's one of the that's one of the, the first things you hear about him is that how self, selfless he was yeah. in giving back to the industry. Um, you know, he'd work with just about anybody. Um, and I think he has worked with just about everybody that was a major name in the industry. But for whatever reason, for a long time, I just didn't see it. Like, even like 26 years ago during his run in ECW when he won the title briefly and had that, like, you know, that that that, that major moment at their first pay-per-view, I was just like, what? I was like, all right, yeah, he's he's a name, but, like, what do they see in him? Yeah. I just didn't get it at the time. I didn't yeah. understand it. Maybe it's because of my age and I wasn't mature enough, but... You know, I'm 40 years old now, and I just started to realize I was yeah. like, like, damn, like. For instance, here's one. Here's here's one moment that like sticks out with me, and I kind of remember it as a kid, but I also it, it, I I've 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 learned to appreciate it more. Was the 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 moment he had on TBS with during the during the angle with Ric Flair when he put this plastic shopping bag over Ric Flair's head and TBS like lost it and like almost okay. threw them off yeah, the yeah, air, yeah, yeah. right? It was during their major angle with right. the world title. Mm -hmm. It was leading to the New York knockout I quit mm -hmm. match at Clash of Champions, okay? Yep. I remember hearing about it as a kid, watching some of those, you know, the, the, the weekend shows, but they wouldn't show the footage. Right. And because of it, like TBS like barely even taught. Like, Which makes it even that much of a bigger deal. Exactly, you know I mean? exactly. Because then you're, you're curious. You want to see, yeah. well, well, how how serious is this? Like, it's forbidden fruit. Like when like like another example was like when Beefcake got busted open by Ron Bass um, heading into SummerSlam mm -hmm. and they put the big X sensor over his face so you couldn't see the blood. Like you were then curious. You wanted to see how bad it really was. We're a car wreck society. That's exactly. You know I mean? So when it comes... Called rubbernecking for a reason. <laughs> yeah, so... When I listened to Pritchard and then I went back and watched some of these moments and I was like, all right, now I get it. Mm -hmm. Now I understand. Like he's 
people think he's the greatest of all time because that's him. He's like that's who Terry Funk is. Like yeah. he's he's real. Like not saying that everybody else isn't, but like he, he, what you see is what you get with him. Yeah, he definitely. While he was a character, he wasn't playing a character. Those are two different things. Yes, too, you know what I yes. mean. Yes, and I think that's there are certainly going. lots of people. There's certainly lots of people who are like that. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, you know the the one thing that sticks in my mind that's kind of come up here is that to me Terry Funk. We talk about especially with like a Bray Wyatt. That's a generate. That was a generational talent, right? Yep. Randy Orton, generational talent. Not yeah. just because of their third generation. You know, yeah. You talk about other different talents that don't have lineage in wrestling, and you say those are generational talents. Yep. And it gets thrown around a lot that phrase. Oh yeah. I would consider because of Terry Funk's longevity that Terry Funk is a multi-generational talent. Well, with all the er- with all the, the the eras he has, yeah, like he has performed. As long in. as he wrestled, he was a he was he he was on par with the best. Yeah, you know what I mean. Because what he brought to the table was uniquely better than everybody else. Like no one else could do Terry Funk better than Terry Funk. Yeah. What his presentation was in ECW, nobody was doing that better than him. No one was being a wrestler's wrestler in the '70s better than him yep. at the time that he was the world heavyweight champion. You know yeah. what I mean? So every so in many, he's like he's like the Undertaker, you know, as if to yeah. do another app comparison. Yeah, able to adapt, change, reinvent, and 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 do all that he can to still stand out somehow. Yep. And in that respect, yeah, multi generational talent. So yeah, like I said, that guy. We if we have it if it hasn't been done already here an episode on Terry Funk might be a good one to do one today. Yeah, I mean um, I'll definitely have to do some homework and you know maybe pick a match we can watch. Uh, just a few more of these names we'll just kind of go through here. Um, uh, one that it was it, it was one of those that like it was it was unfortunate but it was almost like you were you were thankful it it did finally happen because he was going through such terrible health complications with superstar billy graham uh, you know for the last god knows how long all you heard about him in the news was like he was in the hospital for something whether it was something with his kidneys or his liver or what have you he was always going through some health troubles um dare i say uh, would would you consider superstar billy graham a generational talent in the sense that he inspired multiple generations to kind of bring out the sports entertainment in that talent because i mean if you think about it you know hulk hogan jesse ventura scott steiner like i mean you could even go as far as to say like graham who has said he was inspired by muhammad ali really the first sports entertainer in the history of the business had to be gorgeous george but graham did it on another level would you say that superstar Billy Graham is a generational talent for what he's in, for for who he's inspired in wrestling? Oh, without without no question, yes, he really was because he really was a he was an influencer. He influenced so many people to yep. get into wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. If it wasn't for him, there would be no Hulk Hogan, and if it wasn't for him, there would be no Jesse Ventura, no Triple H, no Scott Steiner, no anybody. Yeah. You know that would get involved. In Not to cut you off here, but it uh, looks like uh, Doctor Death and Kevin Sullivan have uh, won the the United States Tag Team Championships from the Fantastics. Uh, we talked a lot over this match, but um, <laughs> I think that was okay. Yeah, that was fine. I mean, this was a good match to talk about all the dead guys. Yeah, <laughs> I think two of them are no longer with us in this match. Doctor Death yeah. and I believe one of the Fantastics. Um, 
Iron Sheik was one that, like, for me was sad because he was another guy who, um, as much of a character as he was, he was also, like you said with Terry Funk, he was he wasn't just playing a character. That was him as well. Right, right, right. You know, and I mean, he was. He was he was everything carny about the wrestling business and and you hear all these great stories. If you go on YouTube, I'm sure you can find plenty of Iron Sheik stories. There Guy, are non wrestling fans who like, for instance, are big Howard Stern fans. Where that's their Iron Sheik. Yes, who they know is the Iron Sheik. Yes, and like that's how, that's the connective tissue of like wrestling and like what I know of Iron Sheik in terms of wrestling and all the matches and Hulk Hogan and you know, Sergeant Slaughter and all that stuff. Like, that's what I know about Iron Sheik. And then there's people who've never watched a minute of wrestling. Shame on you. But, <laughs> yeah, right? But, you know, you, you... If you haven't watched wrestling and you're listening to this podcast, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, right, exactly. This is... Uh, obviously, we want this to do well, but this yes. wouldn't be the first place to go to get your wrestling fix. Exactly. If it is, <laughs> um, I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. we all do, yeah, so... Um, but, yeah, that people know knew the Iron Sheik... From that, you know what I mean? In ter- in these later years where he would get on a show and just curse Hulk Hogan to death to, to, to Howard and, you know, Robin Quivers and, you know, get into rants with Artie Lang and all that. That was a whole different aspect. Yeah. I was a fan of, I don't want to say I was a fan of because I was so, uh, you know, generationally I didn't really line up with Sheik's best stuff. But, like, watching back these documentaries about him and hearing people tell stories about him, there's a little bit of... Red ass Jim Ross in me a little bit. It's not just my initials, Jr. But there's a little bit of like I like to marvel at some of these wrestlers that come into the industry who have athletic backgrounds and to hear and see what they've been able to do in other areas of athleticism. Where the Iron Sheik was basically an Olympic quality athlete, yeah, who came into pro wrestling. We talk about Mark Henry. We talk about Kurt Angle, who may have been the, the very best to to cross over from from sports. Yep, and then of course. Terry Funk. We'll go back to Terry Funk. He was a, was a, was a football player in, in, in West Texas State, which I believe, if I remember correctly, produced a lot of future pro wrestlers. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, I think. DiBiase. Okay. Um, but I liked, I liked that stuff. I think you did an episode with Dennis a while back about like your all-pro team. Yep. Of, a couple um, of years ago, yeah. yeah. And I remember listening to that episode. And we're going off the rails here a little no, bit. No, that's fine. But yeah. I remember hearing that episode and going like, I liked the approach of picking wrestlers and kind of their mindsets and their characters to kind of position them on a starting lineup to me my and this isn't even a criticism just i would have probably built my team based off of like their their athletic background their athletic background you know what i mean like if there was like a basketball team kevin nash would certainly be on the starting lineup you know what i mean yeah or the undertaker for that matter so to me again that's what I like to hear about people. Like that's something I could bring to a party. Yeah. Like the Iron Sheik is like how yeah, did you know that guy was an Olympic wrestler and you know, could do all these different exercises that no normal person could do. Yeah, those, like, the, the Persian clubs. Was yeah, like that's a, a big that's, deal, a, that's yeah. an unbelievable thing that people don't understand, myself no. included, yeah. to, to the fullest breadth of the challenge that that it is. So it's yeah. That's the stuff I like about, you know, a guy like the Iron Sheik that I look fondly on almost as much as Obviously, what he brought us in the ring. There's a there's a there's a funny story I once heard Cornette talk about as we're watching here. The original Midnight Express, Randy Rhodes and uh, Randy Rose and Dennis Condry, managed by a young Paul Heyman, known as Paulie Dangerously, up against Jim Cornette's Midnight Express with beautiful Bobby Eaton and Sweet Stan Lane. Um, we'll talk about this in a moment, but just to kind of cap off um, Iron Sheik here for a moment. Uh, 
There was a great story Cornette once told on a podcast. No, actually, no, I think it was a shoot interview. He was working for, for, for Turner at the time, and they had hired Iron Sheik. And they realized that they were very limited with what they could do with him physically because of his health and, um, you know, the, for they just they just knew it wasn't going to be a long-term thing. So he had signed a deal for, like, a couple of years, but there was an option that, like, the deal would roll over if both parties didn't agree to a new contract or something sure. like that. So it was like a rollover type thing, but like they had to, well, they didn't realize that Sheik, that Sheik's deal was up at, at Turner and they automatically had him signed for like another year or two at like 250 grand. So they had no choice but to use him. Oh man. So the guy was getting free money for a long time. They weren't using, Clearly they weren't using him for shit. Yeah. And, and he was getting paid to do nothing for a long time. And, um, the, the the brain trust at Turner, which has been talked about at nauseum by wrestling fans like myself, um, they uh, they managed to to they didn't figure it out, and and they had no choice but to uh, to to use them in some capacity. Very limited. Um, I want to talk a little bit about tag team wrestling as we're watching this match. Sure. Um, because. I feel like, as a fan, on the spectrum of both WWE and AEW, we're not really... I mean, we've seen some positive strides in tag team wrestling in the last couple of years. Guys like FTR and the Usos, and um, you can even say the Young Bucks to some degree. You have those homegrown, organic tag teams that just... They gel. They work well together. Mm-hmm. I still feel like we are in an era where they are relying very heavily on these hodgepodge, odd couple, thrown together tag teams. Like, I still feel like we haven't really. I don't think, and maybe it's just me being very naive as a fan, but I want this era of tag team wrestling to come back. Not two guys that they just put together because they need something for them to do or they think that they would work well as a team. Like, currently, as we're recording this, Finn Balor and Damian Priest are the tag team champions in WWE. Over in AEW, Ricky Starks and uh, Big Bill, or whatever the fuck he's called, former uh, uh, Big Cass from WWE. They're the AEW tag team champions, okay? Two teams that are, like, hodgepodge put together... And Finn and Priest Hodgepodge. I mean, they're in a group together. They're okay, they're in a faction, together. but... I mean, they're not tag team wrestlers. So from that perspective, they're two singles guys that are working together. They do have a common thread in their in their, in their their grouping. Mm-hmm. But I but I do see what you mean. Like, there isn't... But to me, like, I, I don't need duplication of wrestlers or, or like terms. Like, sometimes I think there is... Like, we don't need the perfect pairing of every tag team. You know what I mean? I don't like need twin brothers and twin sisters. No, I'm not saying. Yeah, I get, what, I get what you're saying. Um, I don't know. It just to me, I do agree that there isn't like hodgepodge groups and odd couples are, are more of, the norm. It's yeah. There's, there is a, there is an excess of that. I would say. Yeah. I mean, aside from FTR, who are big old school tag team wrestlers, um, or at least that's how they present themselves as 
You know, they work a lot like the Midnights. They work a lot like Tully and Arn. Um, a lot of folks tend to agree that the Midnights, whether it's this version with Stan and Bobby or Bobby and uh, Dennis Condry, um, very underrated as a team. Is there a team out there, with the exception of FTR, is there a team out there that you think is, I wouldn't say the closest thing, but you think represents this era of tag team wrestling very well? Daryl, you want to take that one first? That's, um, well, that's kind of like a tough question because, you know, I didn't pay much attention to FTR until they uh, came to AEW. It's just, uh, it's really a tough question that, that you don't have an answer for? Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Um, in terms of, yeah. Uh, that are like FTR? No, aside from FTR. Yeah. Are there, a t- are there, is there a team in wrestling currently that represents this style of tag team wrestling similar to the Midnight Express or just in general? I mean, you could even argue, you know, Arn and Tully and the Rock and Rolls and, you know, those heyday of teams during this era in at least Crockett. Probably the Creed Brothers. Okay. I would say that. All right. Like that's, but even that, that's like pigeonholing tag team wrestling to say that we need a whole batch of tag teams like that. I like the variety that, that, that even the WWE has. I like the variety in some respects. Or There was a, there was a heyday of variety that, that AEW had in their earliest you know, times yep. that I thought was really neat. You yeah. know what I mean? Between the what the Lucha Brothers and and the Young Bucks obviously say what you will about them. FTR when they burst on the scene. Um, who else was in there as solid square tag teams? Uh, I mean, in AEW. Yeah, in the From, beginning, in the earliest times of, of a, in the earliest months. Of, oh, um, uh, uh, I thought they had Santana a, and Ortiz. Yeah, that's yeah. A, thank you. From that Inner was, Circle, yeah. Yeah, like they had. That's that was another example. So like they, there was variety but commonality amongst the teams. Um, where like, I think FTR and like that wrestling, the wrestlers wrestler type of tag team, is def, like that's where they stand out because there's so much yeah. variety. So. Um, I don't think there's other. That's to be very honest. I don't think there's anybody like that. Other, the closest that would resemble it is the Creed Brothers, and, I, and I'm looking forward to seeing where they go because um, they're just so young. They got a Steiner Brothers vibe to me, with yeah. the suplexes and like, for instance, one of them. I don't know which one does, but one of them, he's got this like um, overhead suplex, but then he turns his body. While he's still holding the guy, and he flips him overhead again, he kind of does like a like a like his version of like three amigos. I don't know if you've seen it, where like he'll do the he'll do the overhead suplex, he'll bridge, and okay. then he'll he'll take his body, flip yeah. over, and then put the guy up again. So so for reference, the 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 taller, leaner one is Julius. Okay. And the big, stocky one Brutus. Is Brutus. Okay, well that and makes sense. Julius is the one who I think even before they were ever on TV was a, a guy that they signed and said like that's the future. Like the, the, yeah, I forgot his name, but he was, yeah, I believe he was a wrestler at Duke, Duke okay. University. He was a standout wrestler at Duke University, and they both ended up coming in. But you can even tell just by he's got the look they want, yeah. Julius Creed. Um, and I actually saw them on the bump a couple weeks ago, them and Ivy Nile, and they kind of did a nice little Skype interview. And they got some chops. They're not clever 
people, but like they got a personality that can translate well. Um, I don't like to. So what's the phrase the kids use now? Did the Riz, short the Riz. for charisma. Oh, I never heard that. Um, I don't wow. think they command a room, but they certainly can hold their own in a back and forth. Okay. Um, All right. And I, I definitely think by this time next year, they will probably be at the top of – they'll be firmly established. They'll at the be top one of the top team. teams that they talk about in WWE. So. Okay. Um, speaking of that, you know, we're we'll talking about teams here. These two teams here, uh, the original Midnight Express um, and the, the, the other Midnight Express with Stan and Bobby um, – Fair to say in this room, long overdue for a Hall of Fame induction? I would say, you know, yes, because, you know, they've um, they've really did uh, pretty well for their careers, and especially when they were working for, what was Crockett. Uh, for Crockett and later on WCW. Yep. Yeah, I think, I mean. Now, which, which version? The original with Dennis and Bobby and Jim Cornette, or you put Dennis, Bobby, Cornette, and, Den- and uh, Stan Lane? Definitely the original. With uh, Cornette. Uh, Cornette, I would say put the whole the whole put game all four of them in like, there. Kind of like the the Freebirds, like, yeah. What exactly. they did, yeah. There was only two of them alive to be there to accept, but yeah, they put all four of them in. Yeah, you know that, that's not yeah. They didn't put Iceman in, but that's okay. King oh, that's Fox right. He was a Freebird. I forgot about that. Yeah. I think part of the reason he was not in the Hall of Fame is because he didn't fit. He didn't fit in because the only reason he they put him in because. Uh, it was a bad decision for the office, you know, in world class. Oh, I see what you mean. That kind of like Paul Roma and the Four Horsemen. Like they put the Four Horsemen in, but yeah. Paul Roma didn't go in. Or they put Ole the end up. Yeah. yeah, they yeah, they, yeah. Luger didn't go in. Oli didn't go yeah, in. Sid didn't go yeah, in. They, yeah, they, or the they, NWO and like all fifty other guys you're didn't not go in with. When you put all these people in a faction. You know exactly. I mean? yeah. yeah. Um. So I mean, and fair to say, rock and roll would probably be the ones to induct them if they were if that day were to come. Uh. Paul Heyman's kind of a utility guy when it comes to doing stepping in and doing those things. Like, who the fuck inducted Goldberg? It's not like he had a best friend in wrestling. That's so true. They went with Paul Heyman. Yeah. Did, didn't really line up with what we saw on camera, but it was like, okay, I guess he's kind of got some historical, you know, roots in people and things. And I just figured because Cornette inducted Rock and Roll that one year, that would that... probably be the first preferred option. I feel like, like I said, Paul yeah, Heyman and Ricky like Morton the... would probably try to angle himself into a match at WrestleMania yeah. to do the induction. <laughs> All right, baby. Like, uh, I'll induct Bobby, but you're gonna put me in that battle royal, and then me and me and who we we're, we're gonna go over. Me and me and I think I think Paul <laughs> Heyman is like now like there was a time during the Hall of Fame ceremony was like Dusty Rhodes was like his induction speech of someone was always like an attraction of yes. Someone. Like you always look forward to who Dusty was yeah, gonna talk about. Um, yeah, yeah, like you knew he was gonna be on the card, if you will. And yeah, be inducting someone, and he always gave a good speech because Dusty had a way. Dusty knew how to talk. Yeah, uh, I feel like Paul Heyman's now that guy. Um, they can put him on a talking smack, and he can go spar with Kayla Braxton. They can go, you know, put him on the bump. He, they can have him at first take, telling off Stephen A. Smith. Yep. And they can have him induct Bill Goldberg or the Midnight Express or yeah. whoever they need because he can because he's that he's the goat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So all right. So let me ask you this: You, you talked about it when you know he's on screen here. Um, is he on that Mount Rushmore discussion for managers? I think he's up there now. I think he's cracking it. You think he's cracking it? I think it's. I didn't think so after he broke the streak, but the work he's done with Roman, I think he definitely, he's he's up there. If you're going to do a Mount Rushmore of the four greatest managers of all time, give him to me. Ooh, well, Bobby Heenan. Yeah, he's he, yeah he sits up there easily. He's the first choice. I think he's everybody's first choice. This, so this one's going to be this one's to me like 
This one's gonna it's, again. It's we gonna do it by eras. Not yeah. To me, that's a Mount Rushmore eras, right? But I don't even know if I would go eras. To me, there's some personal thing. I, I don't know. I love, okay. I, I like Arnold Scolan. I just like his uh, hmm. his roots in the business and his influence on the what became the WWF and Vince McMahon. Okay. Uh, the guy managed Bruno San Martino and Bob Backlund. So those are he managed yeah. Bruno. Yeah. I thought he was just Backlund. No, Bruno for a minute. Nothing oh, okay. Crazy. Um, See, I didn't so know that. I, I mean, not not a you know not a popular pick, but I would put him there. Um, but there's like, especially that era. There's so many good managers. Like, but I okay. Hey, uh, Heenan, Skoland. I'd probably put Paul Heyman in there, and then you know, oof. Uh, from there, that's three, four. Um, so that kind of covered like the eight seventies, eighties, nineties is kind of. Meh. Um, I would probably say Jimmy Hart. I'm gonna say Jimmy Hart. That's a, it's it's a hodgepodge. Mount he was he, he off was the rip, but I'm I gonna, mean he, he managed everybody during his yeah during his nineties. He kind of blends decades a little bit. Heyman was more. I think his his resume is more impressive now than it was here in '88. Yeah. So that's like to your point. Yeah. He's proven his worth since this. Yeah. Like it was rather forgettable that he was a manager back then. Whereas now, Brock Lesnar, CM Punk, the bloodline, like this guy's just crushing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he's just doing so much good work that I that's gonna be He's cool. been the la- in the last 10, 15 years, he's been this era's version of Bobby Heenan in terms of like the star power who he's managed. Yeah. Because Heenan pretty much managed like a who's who of all the bad guys in WWF during his time period. I mean, just about yeah. everybody. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Andre Orndorff, Stud, Bundy, he Flair. He was like, the top heel in the company. Yeah, he was. I mean, our, our our friend Ken Reedy once made a great point and he's talked about it on, on, on his, you know, former podcast. But people talk about great rivalries, Hogan and the Heenan family. Yeah. You know, was probably you know should be up there for for great rivalries because of all the guys that Hogan had to yeah, go through uh, with Bobby Heenan. But Daryl, who are your four top Mount Rushmore greatest managers of all time? Well, definitely number one, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Yep, that's easy. And number two, Paul Heyman because okay. he really has he has done incredibly well, well at this time of year. Yep. Yep. And for number three, I would say. Um, Jimmy Hart, because he managed, wow. you know, pretty yeah. much everybody. He managed okay. everybody. And he managed every champion in the Triple Crown in WWF at that time, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, for number four, oh, man. That is like, um, I would say respectfully in the old school, the Grand Wizard. Wow. I like that pick. I like that pick. Yeah, I mean, he, he managed, you know, superstar Billy Graham. Um, if I'm going to go, f- uh, I'll put Heyman up. I mean, Bobby Heenan, Paul Heyman. Um Jim Cornette. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like one of us was going to bring that up. Yeah, I, I think Jim Cornette, he was he was so good at being hated mm-hmm. that as we're watching this, you know, his version of the Midnight Express, they're baby faces. And I have a hard time watching the people cheer for Jim Cornette. I mean, look at him. Look at the way he's dressed. Like, He's not cool. Like you think of babyface, you think of a good guy, you think of somebody that 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 exudes cool, and he doesn't do any of that yeah. just by looking at him right there. So, but his work as a heel, I mean, you go back to you go back to Bill Watts's territory, yeah. Mid South. 
And what put Mid South on the map? Probably two things: Junkyard Dog being the the most popular African American wrestler in that territory and and transcending the territory. Mm-hmm. And we were doing sold out Superdome shows. With yeah, Junkyard Dog on top. Yep, and the yeah, Midnight awesome. Rock and Roll angle are probably yeah. the two biggest things that really made Mid South wrestling down in down in the Louisiana territory a major deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and at the time, tag team wrestling on top of a territory, I wouldn't say it was unheard of, but it wasn't as accepted. And the Midnight Rock and Roll Express angle, think about it. The Midnight Rock and Roll Express angle started in UWF, and it transcended to Crockett. Think about how powerful, like, you took one angle in one territory and brought it to another and made it just as successful, if not more. During a time period where cable television was just pretty much getting started, and you didn't have a whole lot of access to all those other, the, all those other promotions, and I think Cornette played a big part in that in in the development of the that angle. Well, I will say, and from a historian perspective, not that I am one, but from what I understand, that was largely part of the territorial structure. Is that especially if you worked well with someone and did well somewhere, you tended to typically that act tended to typically move to other places. Now, obviously, politics and things came into play, or and, and other uncontrolling factors, but like that is typically how it worked before TV. But to your point, getting it on TV, being in this era of wrestling, to have that type of staying power is actually pretty much that's impressive. Yeah, exactly. You that's know, impressive. Like, I, I'm gonna have to go back and bat and change my Mount Rushmore slightly. Okay. Fortunately, Jimmy Hart's gonna have to kick rocks and and so and one gym for another. Uh, no, I'm not putting Jim Cornette on. Oh there. wow. I'm gonna go with and again, somewhat in the same era that Jimmy Hart was in, but I'm gonna go with Sherry Martel. See, I was gonna end with a female I'm that was gonna, gonna go be Miss Elizabeth. Sherry. That's a oh, oh yeah. Man, that's who I would have thought of. That that that's it, yeah. It's Bobby Heyman, Cornette, and Miss oh, Elizabeth. And I that's think Miss Elizabeth one to ignore, but I'm gonna still stick with Sherry because of the you know yeah, she, Michaels, she, yeah, she, Michaels, she, Dibiase, you know what I Savage. mean? Savage. Like, Savage, holy shit. You know what I mean? And Then and, eventually, what, Ric Flair, Harlem Heat. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's the first, dude, that was one of my favorite tag teams, Harlem Heat. Harlem Heat, yeah. These two big black dudes, as a young kid with this good-looking chick, and you're like, holy shit. Yeah. The, like, you know, not to get X-rated. Yeah, 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 what yeah. What the fuck is going on yeah, here? Oh you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Sister so, Sherry. Yeah, like, oh, my God. Yeah. And with Colonel Paca, baby. <laughs> yep, That's right, that. the Colonel. Uh, underrated manager, I must say. Colonel, you know, the, the Colonel Sanders. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that was He was an underrated manager. I, I, I got a soft spot for him. I don't know what it is. As we see, um, looks like this match is pretty much over. Uh, some sort of schmoz finish with uh, Heyman and his phone and Cornette and all bedlam and has, has broken loose um, in this match here. Um, I want to talk a little. We're going to kind of bounce back and forth here. We were just talking about managers, um, but I want to touch on a story uh, from 1988 that we will um, we will. Uh, so later on the show, it'll be Sting and Dusty against the Road Warriors. And it was essentially the angle that got Dusty fired as the booker. Um, well, I shouldn't say fired. Allegedly in the, the Observer, Dusty Rhodes resigned as booker for the Universal Wrestling Corporation. That's what they were being called at the time because 
I believe Crockett had purchased Watts' territory yeah. right around the time or not long before yep. they sold the Turner. So they were trying to create this like universal wrestling federation. It's like conglomerate. What yeah. What WWE ended up doing. Yeah. Up territories. So anyway, um, Dusty's resignation appears to be a forced resignation ordered by TBS executives and Crockett is filling in for him as Booker until he's till he ceases to steer the ship in January. Coming in will be Jim Hurd, a regional manager for Pizza Hut and the number two guy in their marketing department. He'll be given the title of executive vice president under Jack Petrick. Hurd does have some history in the wrestling business as he was the director for Vince McMahon Sr.'s TV tapings in Washington, D.C. in the 1960s and for Sam Mushnick's TV yeah. out of St. Louis from 1969 into the early 70s before becoming general manager of the station. Mushnick's TV aired on and eventually working for the St. Louis Blues NHL team in their front office. Um, that's interesting. A pizza guy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, been poked, it's been poked fun of. Uh, for, for quite some time. You know time. what? I, I knew the St. Louis connection. Yeah. To Sam Mushroom. I, I didn't actually know that there was a connection to Vince McMahon Sr. in Washington, D.C. I didn't know that either. And I and it, it, it gets glossed over, but for as many silly decisions that Jim Hurd gets the blame for during this era, um, there were, in some ways, he was handcuffed with what he was able to do with the finances and trying to like they didn't have television rights because Turner owned them so they weren't getting rights fees from the network to air their shows so therefore he didn't have a whole lot of capital to try and sign guys or lure guys from other promotions with more money well the business was also different then too like we talk about television rights fees now which is such a major oh yeah it wasn't there it wasn't you paid for your time and you split advertising fees yeah one typical uh, mode of generating revenue mm-hmm. back in this time of wrestling. Having said that, to your point, because they were owned by Turner, there wasn't really like it became a revenue center where, where money that they brought in for things like merchandise, things like pay per views, things like television, like TV, you know, uh, arena attendance. That revenue would be moved, like, at least according to Eric Bischoff. Speaking of junk, to Eric other Dunn. to other places in the Turner business to pad their books. Yeah. Because that's how they looked at wrestling. Um, at least that's the way Bischoff at least describes it. So yeah. like when, for instance, as an example, like when a WCW pay-per-view would, would you know, have, let's just say, 400,000 buys, uh, right? A Starcade, let's just say. That revenue would go on the books for Turner Home Entertainment. Yeah. It, not for I've read WCW. These stories. That Nitro book, you know, they told a lot yeah, of stories stuff about like how that. They, there was a lot of creative accounting yeah. practices. That aren't necessarily they, illegal, maybe. In not other words, they, they, they cooked the books from time to time. Uh, sorry, again, they got they got they got creative to present it in ways that were advantageous to certain people and certain WCW was making them some money, but because they didn't want wrestling, they would move it. They would move some of those yes. numbers to other parts of the the financials to make it appear like they're not making money for them. Um, yeah, but I also think it was done to make it look like Turner Home Entertainment's making money. To yeah, make it look like yeah. ad sales is making money or yeah. whatever the department is. Let's take some of this money and move it here. Let's take some of this move it there. Let's let's put this part of the department under here because it's really it wasn't really a company per se. It was just a it was yeah. just a property. Uh, you know what I mean? It wasn't a, it was just intellectual property. That's what WCW really was after it got sold. So right here we have Junkyard Dog and Ivan Koloff, quite the odd couple tag yeah, right. team there, taking on the Russian assassins managed by Paul Jones. Um, 
there was an interesting i was reading doing a little bit of research um on this event and this pay-per-view here like i said it's the first major event post the turner um the turner sale or the sale to turner um but junkyard dog actually competed twice on this show it was in the final match of the evening junkyard dog won a 17-man, $50,000 bunkhouse battle royal by last eliminating Abdullah the Butcher. Also in this match was Commando Ray, Commando Boone, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, Dick Murdoch, Kendall Windham, a young Dustin Rhodes, which I didn't know this, Tommy Rogers, Bobby Fulton, Dennis Condry, Randy Rose, Steve Dr. Death Williams, Bobby Eaton, Stan Lane, Al Perez, and Larry Zabisco. Interesting that they put that match on last that didn't air on the pay-per-view oh okay so okay. flair and luger was the match that everybody on tell on pay-per-view saw and then when the cameras went black we got a dark match which <clears throat> i've heard in later years that the wwf used to do that with some of their in your house pay-per-view matches they would do like four or five matches on a card for the pay-per-view run about like almost 90 minutes at like 20 dollars a pop and then when you know they went off the air, they had like two or three more matches for the live crowd. Like I think the Buried Alive in Your House pay per view it closed with Undertaker and Mankind in the Buried Alive match. Right. But then the live crowd got to see Shawn Michaels and Goldust for the WWF Championship, which is kind of neat. It'd be yeah. something I would like to see they then put on uh, Peacock or the network or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that about a lot of those events. Um, I think to the point, like you said, you know, you got a ninety minute pay per view within your house. You know, you, you want to get a more full, rounded experience as the ticket buying yep. customer. So you, instead of being there for only ninety minutes, you're there for two and a half hours. You know what I mean? That seems like a more that sounds like a more appropriate time to be, you know, engaged in some action with yep. that they're giving you. You know, it's like you don't go to the movie theater to watch a thirty minute movie. You know what I mean? Correct. It's, you're watching a, a ninety minute, two hour movie. So it's it seems like that's like somewhat the premise of that. Now. This just came to me um, as we're watching this match with Ivan Koloff. Isn't there a story about you, Justin, almost running over Ivan Koloff in Miami a few years ago at a WrestleMania? Uh, that's funny. <laughs> I didn't almost run him over. Um, okay, well, it cl- let's clear the air. Let's, so let's clear I the was air. tasked with being the driver uh, to... Uh, bring Shane Helms to and from uh, his to to the Ken Reedy show episode where he was interviewed and back to his in our hotel yep. at, in Miami. Um, and that was when they had like WrestleCon at their at their hotel. Uh, yeah, right? So I had to go pick was, him up. It was like one of the first t- WrestleCons they had ever put together. I believe. Yeah. I had to pick him up at his hotel, which was on South Beach and bring him back to our hotel, which was in downtown Miami. Yeah. Um, and then I had to bring him back. So the, you know, he goes and does his, uh, you know, his time with you guys on the show and then I had to bring him back cause he had something to do. So anyways, on the way back, a typical Florida afternoon storm blasts through yep. and we're caught in the middle. Three o'clock day. in the afternoon. It's a torrential downpour yeah, and you know, the world's coming to an end. Yeah. For like eight minutes. Yep. So, um, I bring him back to his hotel and his hotel, if you remember, I'm not sure or not. Because we didn't really like spend a whole lot of time there, um, 
you know, you go to any hotel, they have that like little overhang where like, you know, people can park their cars yep. and check in and get their bags, right? Well, that, that hotel had one too. And this, you know, a lot of hotels down in South Beach are very old. They're like from the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And they're honestly still to this day, not great hotels to stay in. <laughs> they're crappy. Yeah. Um, especially the ones closer to the beach. They're about as big as this living room, you know what I mean? Okay. If that. Like, that's probably being generous. Um, so anyways, uh, I go to drop him off. And this overhang with the drive-thru where the cars kind of pull up and park and get their bags out and all that, it's on a hill. I do remember that. I do remember that. Because we went there later to hang out with Shane and a few of them. So um, there was a lot of activity of people being picked up, being dropped off in front of this hotel that he was staying at. And I I had initially attempted to maybe just, given the way traffic was down there, and my nervousness of any of that, I initially just tried to park right in front, and then he would walk up to his from the bottom of the, the small hill to the front door of the hotel. Gotcha. But he was like, "Hey, man, I have my walking boot on." He had been Sorry, he got in that motorcycle accident. accident. Yep. Um, and he was like, "Hey, would you mind pulling up to the to the front?" So I go to do that, but again, there's people and walking around, and it's not quite a organized way to pull up a car with all this traffic and stuff and yeah. only one way in one way out of this hotel <laughs> i try to pull up as much as i can and it again had just rained and i take my foot off the brake to go on the gas and in the, in the process of doing that my car slides down oh that's this right hill, and i slam back on the brake yeah <laughs> and i turn around and i didn't but i it sounded like i hit the van behind me and that van had Ivan Koloff in it. <laughs> and the only reason I know it had Ivan Koloff in it is because when we were pulling up to the hotel, we saw Ivan Koloff being brought into the van. And he's walking like an old man with a hunchback and everything. And Shane makes the comment, oh, there's Ivan. Oh, man, I haven't talked to him yet. I didn't know he was staying at my hotel. He was one of the first guys I worked with in the wrestling business. Um, so okay. anyways, we slam the br- I slam the brakes. I turn around. And I think I hit this car. <laughs> This van. And I'm like sweating. Oh shit! And yeah. Shane looks at me and goes, slaps me on the chest and goes, "Well, thanks for the ride. See you later." <laughs> and walks out. And I'm like, I could see them doing I, that. Yeah. I, 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 I put, the, I put, I pull the e brake up and I make sure I look outside. I see that this white van didn't have any damage on it. I look at Ken and Michelle's Rav Four, no damage on it. But I'm like, oh my god, like what the hell happened? The white van drives off, so I'm, I know nothing happened, but still like worried yep you know what i mean and it's not I your car you're, you're you're out of town unfamiliar yeah. area so i was like an almost fender bender with ivan koloff that's funny i almost i he, meanwhile it's probably not his car the promoter probably picked him it was up like, so it was like, it was some, like a like white transit van. like a rental van yeah yeah it was one of those like rental probably vans. picked like 15 of those guys up in yeah, the same and van, like trotted yeah. them somewhere but yeah he just looks at me she looks at me like well see you later and just gets <laughs> thanks for the ride dude that's awesome yeah so yeah and i got into a fender bender with ivan koloff that's the story we can tell. well no damage was done during this match because we talked over it but it was relevant because of the Ivan Koloff story um, this is something that I wanted to touch on too um, and a little known uh, tidbit here but uh, during this time period um, no that's okay um, the movie They Live starring Roddy Piper had surpassed, surpassed 35 million dollars at the box office in uh around December of 1988. True story. I've never seen that movie before. 
Neither have I. Daryl, Daryl, you have, right? <laughs> oh, you bet. Yeah? You bet. It was it was pretty good. It was very surprising that Robin And it's Piper, like an alien sci-fi type of movie? Yeah, it's where, you know, you put on the sunglasses and then you see everything that is like in disguise, you know, in real life that... That the world is being controlled by aliens who Interesting. are who are rich, wealthy, and powerful, and have connections with police officers and all that stuff. Oh, so pretty much today. Yeah, uh, yeah. I feel like that's a movie you could remake and it'd yeah. be good. But that's the thing. I know tons of people who've seen who've seen this movie. They live and talk about how cool it is. Yeah, I've so never it's seen like, it. It is somewhat of a cult classic. It's that not might... just a movie that a wrestler made. That like it actually was somewhat of a hit. $35 million dollars at the box office. That's, in I mean, in 1988, 1988 money, that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, not... And the fact like, that people still talk about it. Nowadays, $35 million at the box office is considered a, a massive failure oh, yeah. for movies, especially with, you know, how, you know, Hollywood budgets and things like that. We got the Shark Cage coming down for our next match here on this Starcade event. Um Rick Steiner set to go one-on-one with Mike Rotundo, I believe is for the United States, I'm sorry, the 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 NWA World Television Championship. This is pre-Steiner Brothers, so Scott's not here. Um, I believe Scott would come into the picture, um, you know, later on down the road, a few months or whatever. Got Teddy Long in the ring as the referee with some hair, not very much, but um, some hair nonetheless. Um Another piece of news from the Observer in nineteen in December of eighty eight. As far as the booking position goes, it appears they're going to be running. Uh, it's going to be run by a committee, and Ric Flair sure. appears to be the guy who's going to be the brains behind that. Uh, when TBS bought the company, Dusty was in a decent position, as Petrick didn't know all that much about wrestling, and his information came from Jim Crockett, who believed strongly in Dustin, Dusty's booking abilities. But then that behind-the-scenes stuff with Flair came to a head after brewing since October, and then Flair signed a new deal with TBS that gave him creative control on his finishes and angles. Rhodes responded by booking Flair for only five dates in December to weaken Flair's position and to blow... And, and, the two blew up over the finish for Starcade, which led to Petrick changing the main event from Flair versus Rick Steiner to Flair versus Lex Luger. I didn't know that Rick Steiner was going to be a part of this. That's, yeah, that's yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. I wonder if that would have affected. Um, I wonder if that would have been the result of bringing in Scott. Maybe I don't know. Um, well, I think at this time I don't know where Scott was in terms of his career, but like you see Mike Rotunda there. That was the Varsity Club, I believe. It was the Varsity when Club. He was in Florida. That's thing where they started, right? The, the Varsity Club? Yeah. I don't know if the Varsity Club started in Florida. I know that Sullivan has ties to Florida wrestling from, from working for Eddie well, Graham. there was a run there with that. Maybe. Like, you right? could. Yeah, maybe I mean, I, I don't remember, to yeah, be honest maybe, with you. Maybe Steiner's, part of Steiner's, um, Rick Steiner's at least. I think Steiner worked for Bill Watts, too, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, I think he did. I, I don't know how much of a, I think he might have been like, a, I'm not sure if he was like an underneath guy or, you know, somebody that didn't, wasn't really too established. Um. But yeah, that's interesting. So Flair and Rick Steiner rumored to be the main event. For, I mean, this is coming from Meltzer. Who knows? This could have just been someone feeding Meltzer some bullshit. Right. Um, apparently, Dusty, according to Meltzer, saw the writing on the wall, and he did the Road Warrior spike to his ang- to his eye, um, which was allegedly supposed to be a part of the December 7th Clash of Champions and a bid for sympathy by aligning him with Sting, who was the hottest babyface in the company. Um According to Meltzer, that was a bad move because all the blood during the Midnight Express first Midnight Express angle a few weeks earlier got TBS to send the memo out not doing blood, and Dusty just defied that. Um, but apparently they wanted him to stay on as a wrestler. 
Um, Meltzer notes that Dusty's contract is is in question. Um, outside of Hulk Hogan in the industry at the time, there probably wasn't anybody earning more money than Dusty Rhodes. Another factor to consider is that a new booker likely won't center the show around Dusty, and Dusty would rather make less as the centerpiece of a small territory than make a lot as a bit player in a national company. But who knows how much influence he'll be able to exert through Crockett as Crockett sticks around in various roles. Interesting. Um, little turn of events there. Um with Dusty's uh, controversial run as a booker um, and his his beef with Flair. It's also interesting, too, that if this is true, okay, I mentioned it earlier in, in Meltzer's report that Flair signed a new deal that um, talked about Flair getting creative control in his finishes, which, to the best of my knowledge, and I I could be mistaken, but I do remember... In various interviews, when Flair has talked about the downfall of WCW and how everybody had creative control and it was mm-hmm. a terrible idea and the inmates ran the asylum and it was ATM Eric that was letting all these guys do whatever they fucking wanted. You mean to tell me Flair wasn't a part of any of that either? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Um I do wonder. That's just my dryer going I was off. Say you want to go fold your clothes now? No, <laughs> I know. Um, right? you, maybe you guys could take over for a few. Um, while I separate the darks and the whites. Yeah. Laundry, that is. Let's not get it carried away here. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think um, yeah, that would be news to me. I didn't know that there was any alleged creative control because the, the narrative has always been that that stuff didn't happen until like again the Eric Bischoff years of WCW when you know all that kind of transpired so and they also try to claim too that like the the guaranteed contracts was an eric bischoff thing but a lot of guys have claimed i mean bischoff has said it himself like he had a guaranteed contract as a c-squad announcer working for working for turner and even a lot of the rest of wrestler though but i i remember hearing larry zabisco say like the first thing he told bischoff when bischoff started was keep your mouth shut fly under the radar you'll have a job here for life they'll pay you whatever you want yeah but i don't know if that's really the same thing as the wrestlers getting guaranteed contracts. Okay, because fair. You're probably an employee if you're an announcer, whereas you're not an employee. You're 1099 as a wrestler. You're probably an independent contractor. Yeah. But even then, like the, the, the just the classifications and differences between the two, I think, is probably where all those guys were getting guaranteed contracts as announcers because they were employees. Uh, the wrestlers probably weren't because they were expendable. Too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or not expendable, but like, you know, you get you only got paid when you got used type of thing. Yeah. Where that obviously you work, you got paid. Yeah. You didn't. If you sat home, you weren't making anything. Right, right. Yeah. But um, I would say that, yeah. Again, interesting to hear that that was allegedly the the way it worked for Flair in '88. Because if if memory serves me right, there was a possibility what six months prior to this event that he would be going to the WWF. Yeah, he was supposed to be the big surprise. On the brother love show, on the brother love show, yeah. and he was supposed to challenge Savage for yep. the title. So man, that would have been an interesting. I bet he wishes he had that one back. Oh, I, I'm sure he does. I mean, I think he's even said it. Like when he brought the belt up in '91 and left because him and Hurd had their beef. I, the The phone call to Vince was, "It's real this time, and I got the belt. Like I want to come. Right. Like I don't have a contract. Let's you know, let's make it happen." Um. So, I mean, he's he, he clearly um, 
clearly, you know, this time around realized he can't shoot himself in the foot like he did previously. But right. I would imagine that, I would imagine that at least from Flair's perspective, going to a, even though he was probably confident and for Crockett was familiar to him and he knew what his role was going to be, he knew how they were going to use him as opposed to him going somewhere else. He knew how they were going to use him as opposed to him going somewhere else, not really having a, a, a great idea and him probably not having a ton of influence either like he would, you know, working for Crockett. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, and again, that's, that's a, I think that is a personal business decision rather when we look at it like, Oh, like it's the WWF and it's better than Jim Crockett. Like, you still have a life to live, you know what I mean? And back then, those WWF guys were wrestling 300 days a year plus, where Ric Flair had a nice schedule work on a smaller, ter- a, a still a more territorial southeastern wrestling, you know, travel schedule, mm-hmm. where you're not on the road all the time. You're home more. And he's going to act like he's, been, he's on the road every day, but, you know, still it's not the same. Yep. You know what I mean? And I'm sure there was some convenience to being, like you said, comfortability, convenience, um, staying where he stayed. In other news, Nikita Koloff quit the NWA or the WCW or the UWC, whatever they're calling themselves. The primary issue for him seems to be the matter of travel, as Meltzer believes he lives in Charlotte, though he's had a falling out of Dusty and Crockett's favor and apparently felt he was about to get buried. Koloff quit on Sunday, and Dusty hired Junkyard Dog to fill the gap. So, allegedly, Nikita was supposed to team with Ivan to take on the Russian Assassins in the match we just watched previously. That makes sense. They threw Junkyard Dog into the mix. I don't know how he how they explained that on television, but... Um, they felt this was just another bad decision, but more thought about it, he found out to be a symptom of an endemic issue with the company. 1989 needs to be a year of building new stars in order to get out of the running of a stale upper card, as this was a great opportunity to bring in a new fresh face for Starcade. But instead, they brought in JYD, um, who's well past his prime. He was an attraction in his day. He's never been a great worker, so now that he's over the hill as an attraction, he doesn't even have good work to fall back on. <laughs> well, yeah. Mouths are really burying him. That sounds like AEW. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds well, like a guy representing AEW who's burying, you know, people who are well, way yeah. past their prime. Speaking of Dusty and the, the, the power struggle, apparently um, TBS viewers made approximately 350 angry phone calls to the station following the road where spiking Dusty angle. This is the most negative calls since Black Saturday in 1984 when Vince took over the TBS time slot. And it's worth noting that the rating for the show, which is the spike angle, was only 2.5, significantly lower than the previous week. And the show was bleeding viewers from the start. Apparently, the reception was so bad that Ted Turner personally requested a copy of the tape for review and was behind the decision to blur reruns of the angle. Not realizing that the NWA blood runs too deep, Dave says, I suspect we've seen the last of graphically bloody angles from the NWA, at least in uncensored form. Ted Turner himself. Right? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's possible, sure. Yeah. I don't have any reason to doubt it. Uh, so to take it at face value, and you know, we've always heard that Ted Turner was a huge fan. Yeah, and was and was a huge reason why WCW lasted as long as it did. Yeah. So for that reason, you know, to get a little hands on when needed to make sure that things were on the up and up, and you know, there were no excuses given to cut the cord on this company. Um, yeah, I could see where Ted Turner probably made a, maybe intervened a little bit. I want to note, as we're watching this match, 
This was the first. This was not only the first arcade post the purchase of Crockett from Turner, but this was also the first arcade that was held in December. Originally, it was a tradition held on Thanksgiving evening in November until a year prior, when the WWF brought the Survivor Series. And there's the famous story of Vince locking out the cable companies of WrestleMania if they didn't carry their show as opposed to the Crockett show. Um, Interesting story here that I just came across in my notes um, regarding Survivor Series. Um, between the Rougeos and Dynamite Kid. This was during the time period when the Rougeos and the Bulldogs had that rivalry on TV, but also the the infamous um, backstage fight between Dynamite and the Rougeos. Um, apparently, Vince warned them before the match Survivor Series that if things got out of hand during the match, they wouldn't get paid. And according to one report, he also told Dynamite specifically that the finish would have the Rougeaux would have the Rougeos rather than the Conquistadors at the end against the Powers of Pain to keep Dynamite from trying anything because he knew, he would know that they needed to be in the match most of the way. Obviously, in reality, Ray Rougeau was eliminated five minutes in and the Rougeos got their gear and got out of Dodge while the match was still underway. Interesting. I think I remember hearing stories about that in different episodes of Dark Side and Bret Hart's book and all the different places in wrestling lore that have that have drummed up this saga yeah as it relates to dynamite and and what was in many ways the 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 beginning of the end or maybe even not so much the beginning but you know a true signaling of the end of his reign of terror amongst the locker rooms that he inhabited yeah yeah that's that that's uh i mean it's there's there's two sides to that it's one it's you know harmless fun ribbing um, but then on the other side, you know, I mean, nowadays it wouldn't be accepted in, in today's culture. Um, no, of course You know, not. feeding hot dogs to <laughs> to the bulldog and then letting the dog shit everywhere, you know, or, or, or you know, uh, padlocking someone's luggage, um, shitting in someone's bag, stuff like that. Um, have you heard any interesting Dynamite Kid stories, Daryl, that you could share? Oh, I've heard of... Uh... Well, I always heard of the uh, the backstage, you know, uh, the sucker punch where Jacques Rougeau gave the dynamite. And With then, the roll of quarters in his yep. fist, right? Yeah. Yep. yeah and, uh, Knocked his teeth out of here. Yeah, but Scott McGee said in the dark side of the ring, said he believes that it wasn't a roll of quarters. It was brass knucks. But I wouldn't buy into Scott McGee's side. I mean, if Jacques Rougeau was telling the truth, you know, because he was the one that sucker punched him. And, and Bret Hart claims that, you know, Jacques broke his spirit because of what dynamite, you know, may have caused him to do. Yeah. You know, I think there's a... Here's an analogy I'm going to give to that that I think we'll, the three of us will find funny um, as it relates to Dynamite. Someone getting the best of Dynamite on a particular day and what that did to Dynamite's spirit, like like Daryl just said. Um, remember this? Remember the movie The Great Outdoors with John Candy and Dan Aykroyd? I just watched that recently. It's a great movie. Oh, yes. Um, there's obviously the scene at the very end of the movie when the bear gets shot in the ass <laughs> and the, the hair falls, the hair blows off and you see his big ass cheeks there and yep. the bear runs away, yep. you know, whining and crying. That was Dynamite? That was Dynamite Kid. <laughs> Never to be seen again because that's what happened to Dynamite Kid. Oh man. That's, that's what happened that, to Dynamite Kid. I like that. And you find out this big, rough, intimidating bully. Is, is is a little bit of a human, and that bear was big and rough and scary looking. But that bear, just like everybody else, had feelings, and that and, and that spirit of that bear got broken at the hands of a, a shotgun. I heard a story on I think Pritchard's 
on on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. They talked about it on on an episode, and um, Pritchard, I think, attests to the fact that it was actual quarters because, like, when they get, when everybody like broke it up, they saw change everywhere yeah, on the that floor. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, change but teeth. what was interesting too about that that he explained that kind of caught me off guard. I had to rewind it back. Um, they brought all those guys. Well, they brought. I think, I think it might have been Rougeau's. I think they brought the Rougeau's into Vince's office, but it was Hogan that kind of facilitated the meeting. And Hogan was in the office as like the locker room leader, kind of going trying to set, trying to solve this beef between oh, okay. the Rougeau's and was the Bulldogs. He tight with the Rougeau's. I don't know if he was tight with them or I wouldn't call Hogan people, but at least I think from, from Pritchard's perspective, because I think Conrad asked him, he goes, well, what was Hogan doing there? Was he involved in it? And Pritchard said, no, Hogan was the top guy at the time. And I think he was just there as like locker room leader to just kind of smooth things and, 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 you know, try to keep the peace, trying to keep the peace a little bit. And, and then I think, I think Pritchard kind of threw something in there about like, um, you know, maybe needing them to work the match for the night. Because they were on, they were the underneath match, or, to, or they were they were the I think because Hogan used to work two towns on a lot of those and loops. They were the main event of a Hogan show. They were the main event of a Hogan show, so Hogan would work the middle of the card right before intermission, yeah, and then, and he, then would he would go shoot to the next town to work whoever, and then it would be like a tag team match the that would main event that first show. So, so it was like the Bulldogs in the Rougeau. Pritchard, he made like a joke. I don't know how true it is. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. But like he kind of like jokingly alluded to like, you know, Terry was making sure everybody was there to do business. I was going to say, it sounds like Terry's like, look, you guys can still wrestle, Nick, because I'm not moving to the main event. Yeah. Like, I want to get my room service. I'll I, still, I, got, I got to be in Chicago in about three hours to work to, to work Honky brothers, Tonk. Like, we're you're good. Because yeah. I'm not working last on this show. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting my room service. Done. I don't care if Dynamite's missing five teeth, all right? Yeah, <laughs> he goes, there. the brother's going to work tonight. Yeah. Even if it's a handicap match, he just comes in for the hot tap. And yeah. I think at that time, too, Dynamite was also... This was his back was messed his up. back was messed up. So he was. I think he was only working the the hot tag spot at the end. I think Davy Boy did a lot of the the heavy lifting in those tag if matches. I remember to rewind it back a little bit further than that. His back was so messed up. I believe Bret Hart said this in a book. If you watch WrestleMania three back when he's walking to the ring, or maybe it's not WrestleMania. They were in the carts, so they didn't walk was it four. Maybe one of the WrestleManias where he's with the Bulldog and 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 said match. Davy was carrying him like almost like piggyback style to the ring and Brett at least alludes hmm. in his storytelling fashion that, that that was because dynamite wouldn't be able to muster up the the walk to the ring and in, in those matches wrestlemania 3 in particular um davy did a lot of the work in that match him and tito santana because dynamite's back was messed up yeah so i don't know if those things were again the melding of convenient truths or whatnot but that was the idea is that he was already that far he was already far gone in that sense in terms of his best days were well behind him oh uh, i mean 100 percent um the uh let's let's talk a little bit more current stuff um in 2023 we talked about actually no before i do that um we'll talk a little bit about some of the uh the changes that jim hurd is expected to bring um upon uh his role as you know the the man in charge for wcw wrestlers would get weekly paychecks based on their contract rather than get paid by the gate uh which i would imagine is something new for them at the time hotel for the hotels for the wrestlers will be paid 
TBS will handle travel, and all wrestlers will fly out from their hometowns. All TV tapings will be taped in Atlanta at a mid-size arena. I think that was the, um, uh, the, the what do they call that? Uh, center stage in Atlanta, mm-hmm. where yep. the Saturday night tapings used to be. The syndicated commentary teams will stay mostly the same, but David Crockett's coming off the TBS evening show to have his own solo time on the morning show. Mostly seems like a bone to throw to the Crockett's. That makes sense, uh, considering the, the, the relationship they had following the sale. Yeah. Um, Crockett's, Dusty Rhodes, and J.J. Dillon are being moved to smaller offices in Dallas. Efforts toward gaining syndication in new markets like New York and Los Angeles. And post-production will be a thing for the TV shows to improve all overall production quality. Um, that's uh, that, A lot of those all make sense considering the, the way that um, Turner had structured a lot of their contracts in later years. And kind of place to the narrative of these big money contracts that Turner was offering. Um, it, it sounds like they were trying to start playing in the big leagues. They were trying yeah. to consolidate and move pieces around to where they needed to be in an effort to in their best idea of what a what it looks like to be like the WWF. Yep. You know what I mean? They were trying to bring this thing mainstream and operate it the way they felt that they could get there. Yep. Rick Steiner uh, Mike Rotunda here. Uh, match looks to be over. Dr. Death made a quick appearance. Um, but I believe they're called for the referee. I don't know what the finish was here. Let's go back and take a look. Um, Tommy Young in there. Conversing with Teddy Long regarding this finish. But let's uh, let's talk a little current here, and let's talk about let's talk a little AEW while we're here. Um, in March of 2023, we saw MJF and Brian Danielson in an Ironman match at Revolution for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. I don't know if you either of you happen to catch that match at all. Nothing in us in any uh, elongated sense to give me an idea of. Okay. I mean, I'll say this: I saw enough clips, YouTube highlights, etc. Yeah. I watched the match. It was pretty good. It. it was probably one of my favorite matches of the year. Um, I think what was great about that match was the story at the fact that like Danielson's character was built for that type of match and MJF wasn't. And I think that's that was a good, strong selling point. Can MJF wrestle 60 minutes with this guy? Yeah. Who's a machine? That um, is on paper, that's so simple. Like, that's perfect. Yes. You know what I mean? It doesn't need to be more And I thought the execution, I mean, I, if I were you, I'd probably go back and watch the match because I, I think based on that story alone, I think you would dig it. Um, I thought MJF really peaked at that point okay as a as a performer um i've not been a fan of babyface mjf i'll be honest with you um i think mjf's i mean he's young so he's you know he's got plenty of career ahead of him but um my interest in him following that match was lost i just didn't think that I thought he was. I thought there. I thought he was overexposed. Like they just kind of pushed him down 
our throats. What are your thoughts on MJF? Both of you guys can share. Uh, what are your thoughts on MJF and the and his run as the AEW World Champion in, in this past year? Well, I'd say you know his run as AEW Champion, you know, is doing really great. But the one thing I don't like about what they're doing with him is that he's a babyface. I'm comfortable with him as a heel because yep. he is way stronger than as a heel. You know, he he acts like you know everything is like. Every, he really lives up to his character from day one as yep. a heel. And he is so believable as a heel and make everybody believable for him as a heel. Mm-hmm. Um, I would definitely agree with Daryl's sentiment on that. Uh, he definitely, as a babyface, looks like he's playing a character. Like he's, he's playing a role, I should say, not a character. He's playing a role. Whereas as a heel, it does his work definitely seemed more um, authentic and organic. Okay. Um, I don't. I've not been a fan of him at all since he became the world champion. To be very honest, I thought he peaked after that that promo at the forum. In my opinion, the, he, the shoot when he yeah, walked out, that was it. And when he came back, then it was just a storyline. Then he was just another wrestler. That that rogue mentality that he that he that he that he, that, that he crescendoed to or that he climaxed to at the forum was all gone the minute he came back. And I don't think they handled they. I don't think they've handled him well at all. And I am. An, I am. An, I am. Yeah. No, I'm in the minority when I say that. No, no, no. I just don't think he has been like he was. He was cool, and then and the minute he became the champion, the minute they brought him back, re-signed him. The War of Twenty Four. Yes or no? It's real or not? It's to me. It's not real. Yeah. It's not real. It's it's a concoction. It's a production. It's not authentic. No. Everything that made us draw ourselves to MJF. When we first saw him on the national scene, gone. Now he's just he's he's, he's another guy on the roster. He's Max Friedman playing MJF. Yeah. Um, however, he needs to be play MJF to to be on television. Okay. And I don't think I don't think it's anything authentic. All right, we are going to pause it right here. It's currently the 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 ringing introductions for the Barry Windham United States Championship title defense against Bam Bam Bigelow. We're going to pause it right here at one hour twenty five minutes and fifty four seconds, so we could take a bathroom break, stretch our legs, et cetera, et cetera, and we will be back with you shortly to continue this Secret Santa watch along. All right, we're back. Legs are stretched, bladder's been drained, got a refreshment break, and we are good to go to continue this. Not so secret Santa Starcade 88 watch along here on Kicking Out at 2. I paused it at 1 hour 25 minutes and 54 seconds. So if you are following along with us, that's where you should be. If not, get there. Um, and I'm going to uh, give you a little countdown, press play, and we will continue uh, with this uh, th- this holiday watch along here. So in 3, 2, 1, hit play as we are... Like I said, ring introductions for Barry Windham and Bam Bam Bigelow for the United States Championship. This is also of of a um, a period of flux for the Horsemen because Arn and Tully are not on this card. This was following their departure from yeah, say, Crockett. Then, no. They were gone by this point. In fact, they were on Survivor Series, yeah. a part of that that twenty man team. Um, so this is a period of flux for the horsemen. There really isn't um, – I wouldn't say there really is a horseman, to be honest with you. And based on things I have seen and heard and read, um, this Starcade was going to look a lot different um, had Arn and Tully been involved uh, 
with them facing the Midnight Express. If you remember in the, the Horseman DVD a number of years ago that WWE produced, it seems like that's the direction they were headed in. And then not long after that, that was when um, when uh, uh, Arn and Tully had left Crockett to go to the WWF. This is an interesting matchup here. It's interesting uh, set of styles with Barry Windham and Bam Bam Bigelow, two guys who are very gifted in their own right athletically for big men, their yeah, size, exactly, but yeah. at the same time probably don't get discussed enough in the conversation when it comes to um, their, their, their ability and what they contributed to the industry. Fair to say? Uh, yeah, I would say I think too, like I think for very different reasons. I, I, I think for Bam Bam, it sounds like based off things that have kind of played out for him and, when people look back on Bam Bam Bigelow, they, um, I think when people look back at Bam Bam Bigelow, they look at kind of a what could have been, mm-hmm. um, especially at this time. Like he was in WWF a year before and he was. Um, they were grooming him to be like the number two guy behind Hogan. Yeah. And apparently he was just immature or just wasn't ready for that role yet type of thing. Yeah. Um, and that kind of was his reputation, you know. And, but despite that, he was so chock full of potential and skill. Let's go back to Bray Wyatt here and say that like you just couldn't not use him. You had to keep making attempts and rounds at pushing him. He was through. too good not to use. You had they, so there was definitely things. I mean, fast forward years later, he main evented WrestleMania against LT. Like, Lawrence Taylor. Yep. That's a you know there was still hope even year, several years after what we're watching now that Bam Bam Bigelow would break through, and unfortunately, it just never really got bigger than that. And that's but that's not to say that main eventing WrestleMania wasn't a big deal because to me, like that's. That's the crown jewel of, of, of the business. I mean, it was a shit period in wrestling in 95, but still something that you could definitely hang your hat on. Yeah. I'm sure Bigelow got a nice payday yeah, for working so with Lawrence Taylor. There was no, uh, I, but again, he never really broke through with any um, consistency to, to remain a, a, a top figure or really be one of any type of, with any type of stability. Mm-hmm. Wyndham, on the other hand, I think, again, just very much, very skilled, very much a generational talent. In that sense, you know, stepped into a ring and knew what he was doing rather quickly. Um, and you, you could attribute lineage to that, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, he just, I don't know, he just didn't really seem to have any type of uh, captivating personality to back up his his ability in the ring to to, to work a good match. He was... Like he he would have been perfect for AEW. I wouldn't... <laughs> I wouldn't say he was... I mean, I agree with... with with all your points regarding Wyndham. Um, Wyndham was best utilized when he was with somebody, when he was either in a tag team or if he was a part of a group, like he was a part of the Horsemen. Eventually, years later, he would work in a tag team with Dustin Rhodes. Um, and then they tried like a single seal run with him in like the mid-90s in, in 93, I think, in 90, late 92, early 93 in WCW. And... As good as he was in the ring, it just didn't really seem to to fit with him as a as a character on his own. Like I just felt like he needed he he needed to be associated with someone in order for people to um take him a little more seriously. That's just yeah, I agree with like and that and and that's it's a shame because like the range of like how good he is bell to bell and what he's able to pull off from a physical standpoint just wasn't maximize maybe as much as it could have been because yeah. 
there is another element to this as a as an entertainment vehicle where you need to you need to be able to captivate audiences in a way that gets you to care about them. And there wasn't anything about Barry Windham that, from a, from a personality standpoint, where you you could relate to him, that you could be invested in him, um, in a way that was memorable. Yeah, I say. you know what I mean. So I think that was kind of the thing. So again, two guys just chock full of natural talent that quite didn't get it realized yep i would say was, yeah so this is like kind of a good what could have been that's a fair match. assessment yeah that's that's a very fair assessment um let's move on to april of this year and it was a big month in wrestling mainly for two reasons one wrestlemania was a huge success in los angeles and endeavor acquiring the wwe in the merger to merge wwe and ufc together uh Daryl, I want to first hear your thoughts. What did you think of WrestleMania, both Saturday and Sunday of this year, this past year? Um, what did you like? What didn't you like? Uh, share with us. Well, I'll start with night one. Yeah. Uh, well, you should because that's how you that's how you do course. start. But yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> now let's just go to night two. Then we'll go to night one. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just okay. messing with you. Go All ahead. All right. Well, uh, well, I think uh, night one was was pretty good. You know, I mean, I I enjoyed it. I mean, I didn't. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, was uh, Theory and uh, John Cena in night one? Or Yes, that was the opening match. Yeah, I didn't yeah. like that opening match. I mean. I didn't care for that match either. We kind of talked about it. I thought that was not the best match for yeah. those two. But go ahead. And, um, you know, they had some pretty good matches, you know, on, on the card. You know, I mean, you know, Rhea Ripley versus uh, Charlotte Flair. I loved it. It was better than the first one. I mean. Yes. Was- I would agree. Yeah, it stole the show that night, you know, for night one. Yep. and uh, That's fair. The uh, tag team main event, you know, with uh, Owens and Sammy finally winning the tag team belts from the Usos. That was great. Yes. And uh, what else? Um, Ray and Dominic. Ray and Dominic, you know, yeah. Father that, was versus, fun, that was a fun match. Yeah, it was It was fun. I liked uh, Dominic's entrance where he came out in the prison, you know. I mean, like. Oh, in the, the, the in prison the, van. Yeah, that yeah, was a great entrance. Yeah, yeah. that was great. That I mean, was good. And um, we'll go to night two. I mean, I mean, I loved it when Gunther, you know, and and uh, Sheamus and Drew McIntyre match. Yep, that was yeah. an awesome match. I loved it when Gunther got his hand raised, you know, because yep. he needed it. It was his first WrestleMania. He needed a dominance as an Intercontinental Champion. And to be honest, I didn't think he would break Honky Tonk Man's record or Macho Man's. That record. That was pretty cool. Yeah, but he deserved it. You know, yep. it's been thirty years. Those guys are. Well past their prime, you know, but I mean, well past, you know, from there. I get what you're saying. Yeah. So, and uh, the main event, I mean, uh, it was a great classic main event between Cody and, you know, for Roman. Yep. And, but I didn't expect it the finish between with Roman getting his hand raised. <laughs> yeah. Mean, you we sat in this living room, you and I watched this and I don't think you were here. Justin, you weren't here for that one. You, we watched night one together, night two, you went somewhere else. Um, I, as much as I, I was back and forth in, in, before the main event and, you know, Roman could win. It would make sense. And Cody would, you know, build up, you know, his, 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 his run again and it would be fine. But if Cody won, it wouldn't have been an issue either. I felt it was that, it, it was that even. And I remember sitting in this chair watching it. And the minute he handed the weight belt to, um, uh, Brody Lee's kid, the former, you know, late, the late Luke Harper, um, his son, little Brody, 
was sitting front row with Cody's mom, and the minute he handed him the weight belt, I was like, and he picked his daughter up and waved her off to yeah, the crowd. Yeah. I was like, God damn, this guy's got to win the fucking match now. <laughs> like, come on, you know, like he's got to win the match. Like, that's yeah, not yeah. like Bret Hart didn't hand the glasses off and then lose the match, you know, like or and it's, I mean, he did, but like. In a moment like WrestleMania, like there was a lot of impact with Cody doing that and doing it to, to little Brody. Yeah, like, they, yeah, it's like, oh man, now he has to. Yes, you know exactly. I mean, I mean they got the shirt. Like Co- Co- Brandy that. was wearing the shirt. Like yeah. the 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 it was the 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 takeoff of the WrestleMania Seven cover art where he's got he's on the mountain with the the flag. It's similar to the the WrestleMania poster from 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 WrestleMania Seven with Hogan. I was like, he's got to win this, right? And then the finish happens, and I was like, wow. I was like, they just really pissed off a lot of people, but this could work in Cody's favor. And obviously, we've seen that it has um, this past year, the things he did with Brock and the stuff he did with Judgment Day, and it looks like he's kind of angling back and circling back to what eventually looks it appears it's going to be him and Roman, and we could talk about that at a later date. But, Daryl, I'm with you. I thought night one was better than night two. Um, and... I thought it was one of the better WrestleManias in the last, probably the best WrestleMania since, I thought WrestleMania Saturday was the best WrestleMania since WrestleMania 31 in in, in San Francisco. Yeah, okay. Okay, WrestleMania Sunday wasn't a bad show by any stretch, but Saturday just seemed to be the, 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 the better show and the well-booked show all around. Justin, why don't you share your thoughts on WrestleMania as a whole this past year? Uh, I, I pulled it up here just match-wise just so I could kind of have a guide to walk through. Oh, okay. But having said that, um, you know, WrestleMania is a special one for me, uh, for all of us, obviously, so I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's not just um, you, it's us, but... Yeah, that's right, yeah, for all yeah. of us. Um, so, it's a holiday. So, you know what I mean? Even a bad WrestleMania is a good WrestleMania. Um, having said That's that, true. Like, um, you know, just kind of starting with night one, um, Cena theory, I wasn't really, it was very underwhelming. I thought John Cena was just there to not collect a paycheck, but there to just, you know, check a box. He's there to get the kid over. Yeah, and I don't even know if he did a good job of doing that when you look at it now. Um, he just didn't look like he... It just didn't look like a fully invested John Cena. Um, he showed up for that one promo in Boston to set up the match, and then we didn't see him again until WrestleMania. And he pretty and much was, buried him. I'm looking at Wikipedia. It was an 11-minute match, which is not short, but not terribly long enough to maybe cook up some good stuff. It just didn't It just didn't look great. I will say this. I was happy to see John Cena come back there later this year yep. and kind of redeem himself from that with a more elongated run yeah. and be the John Cena that we're used to. So I'm glad that that happened. Yeah. Um, going down the line a little bit here. Uh, the WrestleMania Tag Team Showcase, I thought was a fun little match. That was a fun match, I yeah. think Titus O'Neil oh, was on yeah. commentary for that one, right? And yep. that was a fun one just to oh, see, yeah, you know, Street Profits, Ricochet, Ricochet and Braun, the Viking. Just a fun little... They all brought it. Yeah, and I wasn't It was interested. like a good car crash. Yeah, I wasn't interested in the match on, on paper in terms of like its place on the card. It didn't have a storyline. It didn't really... There was no stakes. But you know what? It served its purpose. It was, like you said, a good car crash, a good little spot fest. Just fun. Just a fun match. Don't put too much thought to it type of thing. I could see more of those happening. They could have opened Mania. WrestleMania with that match. Yeah, And then I maybe put Cena and Theory on second. Yeah. Uh, Seth Rollins, Logan Paul, I thought was pretty fun. So yep. Had some moments. The, the Logan Paul entrance was cool. Um, 
you know, I thought that was a nice little match. Uh, the entrance in the six-woman tag match I thought was really cool. Had that, like... The com- Sin City comic yeah, book kind of vibe to cool. it. The yep. match I didn't really care for. Yeah, but, the match was not special. But it was cool. It checked the box in that respect. All right, so um, let me pause for a minute here, okay? You talked about the women, and this is something I wanted to bring up with you. Okay. Do you think women's wrestling overall between WWE and AEW, has it progressed or has it regressed in the last year? In the last year? Yeah. I think it's progressed, and I think I don't even need to see pro- it's it's progressed. Yeah, <laughs> progress. I just said it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just instinctively caught on to yeah. that. Um, I would say it's progressed, and I will say Rhea Ripley is the example of that because again, we started the year with that showcase match, like I said, of getting her in the Royal Rumble. We get to her at WrestleMania, and, and I sat in this seat over here next to me after that match was over and I think I said I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment guys but I think that was the best women's match in Wrestlemania history yeah and I still feel that way now yeah. coming to the end of the year that I'm was with an you. excellent match I'm with you an excellent match I, I felt so it was hard it's hard for me to pick between that and the that night's last match because you know me I don't call it the main event on night one that tag match with the Usos and Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens and, the, and Rhea and Charlotte compete for match of the night and maybe even match of that of this WrestleMania because I thought both of those matches were excellent. But yeah. And the women's match was wonderful. Charlotte, to me, in the same way that Bret Hart became a made wrestler after dropping his title to the Bulldog at SummerSlam is what happened to Charlotte Flair. She, or as, here's another, here's a more apt uh, comparison. When Hogan beat, lost to the Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania six, okay, and you heard Gorilla. What did he say? He was immortal. He He's stepped tri- one step closer towards immortality. immortality Charlotte yeah. Flair has done everything there is to do in WWE and in pro wrestling, except do what she did to with Rhea Ripley for Rhea Ripley on that night. Yeah, for a woman who our great friend Dennis will say is has a. Held down an entire roster full of women. <laughs> I love Char- you, Charlotte Flair made Rhea Ripley, and that was like the yeah. last thing left. That yeah, that's fair to say. Do is she to become even that much more legendary? That is Charlotte fair to Flair say. Did that, and to me, just as much as Rhea got made into maybe the best talent on the roster this year, men or women, Charlotte Flair was got one step closer towards immortality as one of the as maybe the goat for the that performance is fair. that she helped put on, and I was enamored with it that is um and then uh yeah again to jump into night two um i thought night two kind of stunk a little bit and for wrestlemania quality you had the shane mcmahon thing which obviously an injury kind of kind of put a a nice little pop when he came out but once he got in there i did jump out of my seat for that pop yeah i I, I was excited to see him um but unfortunate uh i was very much about the, the the main event obviously with Roman and Cody, I was very much on Team Roman. Um, just, you know, like you said, for the reasons that it made sense for Roman to win. It wasn't Cody's time. Um, I, w- it was, I was invested all the way through. I liked the little uh, smoke screen they kind of pulled to make that finish possible. Again, by getting by booting Solo out and then bringing him back in for the finish to help Roman yeah, win. Yeah, that was good. I thought that was simple and but good and effective. It wasn't, it wasn't too complicated. Um but yeah, a phenomenal WrestleMania, I thought, uh, especially night one. Overall, again, you know, it's Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, so it was it was opening presents. Each That's time. yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, I, I like to go with that Christmas Eve, Christmas Day analogy uh, when it comes to the two night WrestleMania format. Um, I still acknowledge the idea um, of uh, you know WrestleMania night one, someone main eventing like you know we're, we're at the time of this recording, you know, last night. 
on SmackDown, the tribute to the troops, CM Punk talked about, you know, who had just returned, and we'll talk about his return shortly, um, talked about uh, main eventing WrestleMania. And then they had that kind of little stare down with him and Cody yeah. in the back afterwards. Um, you know, if Punk closes out night one of WrestleMania, I will acknowledge that that's, the, I mean, you're different, but I'll acknowledge that he main evented WrestleMania. You yeah, know, I, I mean, mean, listen, like there are there are, you know, World Series and Stanley Cups and, and, and NBA finals that go longer than just one game. Obviously, sure. it's, it's decided in, you know, between five to seven games yeah. a series. So if WrestleMania is the end all be all championship type of presentation, then two nights and someone saying they main evented. um I don't have a problem with that. I've it, It's grown on me, the two-night concept. I didn't like it at first, Well, but it's it, the, it's grown on me. The two-night concept, I hated at first. Yeah. I understood that, obviously, the COVID, you know... COVID, COVID made, made that, that happen. Um, I love the specialness of one day, just like Christmas Day, right? But then, again, when you go, oh, Christmas Eve is important to people, too. We could stretch it. It makes sense. So I'm definitely I'm on board with two nights. It definitely makes sense, with, especially with the wealth of talent they have. It's definitely the, the way to go. Um, I just think that, you know, to me, not to harp on the main event element of it is, it's just, I get it. I understand, you know, it's a, it's a superlative that they can use. Um, but to me, that also makes night two even more special. Yeah. You actually do main event WrestleMania. Um, because you know, it's, it's, it's the end of the pro wrestling year at that last match. You just feel it. It's like yeah. with each present you're opening with each match you're watching, you're getting down to the last one. And I don't know, as a kid, I, I'm looking at your tree now. I, I remember even thinking, like, as a kid, like, as we're finishing up, opening our presents, where, where's my where's my next present? Or, yeah. And then you realize, like, oh, there's that's it. That's it's it. It's over. Okay. And that's what getting to the very end is. Um, so those are my best comparisons to it. And that's why I don't really hold a lot of stock into it. But definitely feel free. I'm not gonna tell you you can't use it as, a, as an assault, <laughs> superlative. It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything to me. But if I was if I was booking a show, if I was a wrestling booker, if I was Triple H, yeah, I would absolutely be saying if you main evented night one that you main evented wrestling. Yeah, I, I get it. It's just it's just not my flavor of ice cream. Rick Steiner here with Magnum TA. We're at one hour forty five minutes and fifteen seconds. Barry Windham had just retained the United States Championship over Bam Bam Bigelow. As we are continuing this holiday watch along, as voted by you, uh, our listeners of Kicking Out at Two, uh, you voted Starcade '88, and we really haven't talked a lot about this show because we've just been kind of all over the place. But that's fine. That's what this is really designed for. This is just something to keep us distracted with and have you guys watch as you're listening to us as well. Um, multitasking if you will um you know you, you said you feel like wrestling has, women's wrestling has progressed i wouldn't say it has regressed but i feel like it it kind of hit like a stalling period this year because we've kind of seen this with the exception of rhea ripley because she's kind of been pushed into the you know the the upper echelon i feel like we haven't really seen the other what the other talented women in wrestling are capable of at a higher level. Um, I think AEW's women's division needs a complete overhaul. I think there's really no identity there, and there isn't a lot of character development with the exception of Tony Storm. We talked about it in a text message this morning, as a matter of fact, that Tony Storm has taken um, on this like classic Marilyn Monroe-type persona and 
really has run with it, and I think that they've done a great job developing her character in that sense. Here's Dusty and Sting for the co-main event against the heel road warriors that nobody gives a shit about. Um, <clears throat> we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but, yeah, I just feel like women's wrestling, there's so many talented women out there that I feel like we've seen the same group of women, at least for the most of 2023, in the same positions. And there's plenty of other talented women out there that really I don't feel have had the opportunity. But I think in the latter part of 2023, we're starting to see that a little bit more um, with like the damage control girls on SmackDown. Um, but like AEW's like, like, and I think what also hurt women's wrestling too, I thought that the Trish Stratus run wasn't anything special when she came back. The stuff she did with Becky wasn't really anything to write home about. I would agree with that. I, I yeah. felt that the her her return to be a part of WrestleMania with Lita and all the other stuff, they could have dressed that up they could have dressed it up a little more. I, I just didn't Yeah, I would say the same too. To me it was like if they just brought those girls back for that, I would have been like, Okay. Yeah. It, there was no part of me that was like, Let me see more Trish. But even me... the tr- but even the turn with Trish on Becky there was nothing built up to it. Yes. You know, there was nothing that built up to it. They had their match, okay, at WrestleMania. They were hugs and everything, and they walked out of the ring together, and that mm-hmm. was the end of it. And then the next you know, couple of weeks, they team up, and then boom, Trish turns yeah, on her. And Trish has this whole underlining thought process of why she did it. And while I guess it, quote, made sense, it was like... There was nothing that built up to it. Yeah, and it wasn't shocking. Yeah. You know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. like, oh my... It was like... It was almost like, are well, we want to keep her around? What do we do? Well, let's just turn her heel. You know and it, I mean? it, it, it further, we want this match. So how do we make this match make sense? It's to me like it. It really cemented the idea that like I feel like you brought her in for this when there was plenty of other talented women that you could have put in that position to work with someone like Becky, who was already firmly established as the top dog, the man, so to speak, yeah. in women's wrestling, and you wasted. Trish Stratus's ability, and you you overlooked somebody else because of that. You know what I mean? Uh, like, yeah, I would definitely say that that's something that like I definitely Becky Trish is definitely a match that deserved to get a match one on one, and I'm glad that yes. they did. Um, from the vantage point of like, all right, like how could you not? But now, especially the way it ended, like we're gonna we're definitely going to see like Zoe Stark versus Trish Stratus, right? Since they kind of broke up at the end of that Becky Lynch. You would movie. think, but and that to me would be what you were looking for. In terms and of I thought that was, elevated. and I, I didn't but even like that pairing either. I didn't mind it. I thought it was nice to find something for someone to do. It, Zoe Stark's still early. I'm not saying Zoe Stark's going to main event WrestleMania this next year or in 10 years, but um, there, that seemed to be like the nugget of like, all right, we're going to bring someone along for this. We're gonna make money with Becky and Trish, but we're gonna we're gonna groom some. We're gonna level somebody up because since then Zoe Stark's been somewhat of a regular person on the show. Yeah, um, is she has she stood out since then? Not really. It could. There's still time. Um, I think. I think to your point, like we didn't get a lot much more than that, or what seemed like a big deal out of Trish Stratus. Um, that I think was a, would go with the name and the value that she's brought the entire time we've known her to be a superstar. So, um, so from that perspective, I can understand 
where maybe more people would get more shine. I just think that the progression of, of women's wrestling in 2023, specific, at least to WWE, because other than Tony Storm, like you said, AEW is kind of meh women's wrestling wise. I think in WWE, like the fact that the, the, the major players aren't the, weren't the four horsewomen, I thought was a nice signaling of the, of the shift. And that's been, it's been that way for a couple of years, but to see Bianca obviously still on top doing her thing, see Rhea Ripley kind of, like I said, go on the terror she's been going on to see EO sky, obviously do what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And the supporting players of that is a Becky is a Bailey is a Charlotte. They're yeah. kind of propping They're They're in this new role now as like facilitators for this new crop of top tier talent. I think we're we're only beginning to see who else could be brought into that in a way that is going to make even more stars. So that's what I mean by progression. Okay. We're not seeing Charlotte Flair as the champion for nine out of 12 months yeah. in main eventing every pay-per-view or Becky Lynch. Same thing. It's, it's new people getting that time. I want to talk to you guys about this match here. Dusty and Sting against the Road Warriors. Road Warriors or heels? Share me, share with me your thoughts on the Road Warriors as heels. What, did you like it? Did you dislike it? I know we're talking in hindsight here. Um, Daryl, you're a big Road Warrior guy, and you're a big Sting guy too. So share with me your thoughts. What did you think about the Road Warriors as heels up against Dusty Rhodes? Did you think it was a good idea, or did you think it was a bad idea? Share share with us what you what you thought. To be honest, I, I like them both as a heel and a babyface because so you, you know, did like them as heels. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I think you know it's um, you know they've been they did very well as baby faces when they first came out, and they wanted to do something with Hawk and Animal to uh, to be like um, to be real dangerous, you know, heel monsters as they as they were. Do you think they started. turned them heel because Arn and Tully left, and Arn and Tully were such strong heels as tag as a tag team? <laughs> I would have to say yes. You think so? Yeah, honestly. Okay. That says I'm laughing. <laughs> You know, okay. But, um, so you don't think this was something that was built up as some grand plan? It was just them just trying to figure out something to get people's attention by doing it? I would have to say yes. Okay. Just? Um, I mean, wasn't around for this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In hi- we're talking in hindsight but here. But I will say, um, to me, the Road Warriors are a presentation that not much about them has to change to be considered a babyface or a heel. That is true. So it's really a matter of who they're in the ring with. Yep. Um, my tastes say that they're babyfaces. You know what I mean? Yep. They're very colorful characters. Or they're very, I don't want to say easy on the eyes, but like they are, um, they are visually, they're visually eye grabbing. Yeah. You see them and you go, whoa. Yeah. Much like Sting, right? Um, much like lots of guys. So the Road Warriors to me, um, are better as baby faces, but like, okay, like you can probably go both ways of them and not really have to like, it's not like they need to cut promos trash in the town or, yeah, you know what I mean? That's not, and you can, there's a good and a bad side to everybody. Yeah. So it's just a matter of how you, how you tweak that in a way that's authentic to that character. And I think it, it works to be a bad, to be a bad guy team, but since they were headliners, they don't necessarily like to me as headliners, they're a baby face team. Yeah. Okay. Now, while we're on the subject of Sting, he announced earlier this year that he will be officially retiring from professional wrestling for good um, uh, in March of 2024 at uh, AEW's Revolution pay-per-view. What are your thoughts on Sting's run in AEW? 
And how would you like to see his final match take place? Uh, Start with you, and then Daryl, you can share. Yeah, I would say I'm glad that he's being able to do this on his own terms. Obviously, the neck injury in WWE with Seth Rollins in 2015 and kind of being forced to retire. While we would hope that that was the best reasons to retire, I can definitely understand his desire to leave there and get this run out of AEW. And it's about what I expected it to be. Yeah. I didn't need him to headline and win world titles and, and run rough shot. Um, so I'm glad, but, but I'm glad put him with a young guy, give him the rub. Yeah. I'm glad he's gotten to do what he's gotten to do. And it's cool to see. Um, I hope that this exit of his, this swan song of his is, is the one time he is treated like the most important thing on the show. Yeah. That's how long he's been doing this with enough equity with us where it's going to be, it could be meaningful, you know, and this could be a bright spot in in what has been a, a pretty rough stretch for AEW. Uh, it could be a nice little moment for all of us to be able to see. And I and I look forward to, you know, I would personally like to see him and Edge. I think there would there's more there's more dollar signs, I guess, more there's more cachet with him and Edge. Yeah. But I think the the storytelling and maybe the more giving back, like you said, lends itself to Darby Allen being that guy. So him and Darby in a, in a final yeah, match. Yeah, exactly. And that I would be definitely okay with that. And it would be with respect to what is important to the industry itself, paying it forward, moving it on, passing it along type thing. And that would do wonders for Darby for sure. Daryl, who do you think Sting should work in his final match in AEW? Well, I would have to agree, you know, a little bit on Justin, who would be his final opponent, like Darby Allen. Yep. Or even uh, Edge, formerly Adam Copeland. Mm-hmm. Or, but the one guy I think I would be would be a perfect heel for him to face would be Christian Cage because those hmm. two guys have had a history with each other. What? Let's not forget in TNA, yes, for example. That's right. They were they they faced off a few times for the yeah. NWA title. Yeah, I like yeah, that. And, and of course, you know, Christian accused him for like, you know, you know, like trying to like take his spotlight, you know, for as the NWA champion, but Sting wasn't. He was just he was going to Cornette's office and he said that he wanted to do a tag match with him and Christian against Jarrett and Scott Steiner and and on impact and all that. And that's right. I was just going to say, does anybody know if Sting's father's still alive? Oh, that's man. That's a ready-made oh. storyline right there, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say, Christian's probably been the, the, the very few bright spots of AEW in the last several months. The um, brightest, in my opinion. Because well, I, I, love, I secretly love Christian. Oh, I, get, I think Christian's criminally underrated. He'd been stealing money for years with his, with his performances. And I think in some respects... He was better than Edge. Yes, okay. 100%. And I think, <laughs> and I think, and I think he didn't get his just due when it came to. He had a great run in the main event with Randy Orton. That one more match thing, like I loved it. Yeah, I thought he deserved so much more. I was, I, I, I and then for him to be able to do what he's doing now in AEW, I think is fun. Um, he's really upped his game and just he's pretty much like saying like to everybody, all right. Max, you want to say the F word on TV? Guess what? You're going to have to follow me. You know, yeah, to, referring he's putting to the MJ on his back in a lot of respects. It, it, too. Yes, because like I've, I know we talked about this recently. Like there was an organic quality to this storyline, and that I really liked that Christian made work so well. And I think recently the company's gobbled it up a little bit. Yeah, naming his faction, yeah. changing Luchasaurus. Isn't it? They've like they've they've uh, they've like whitewashed it. They've neutered it. Having said that talent rises above all and Christian's talent is keeping it afloat. Yes. Say. It's not 
it, I, it's it's I don't want to say it's peaked, but it's not as good as it was when it started. No, but it's but he's it's he's, in a down period. He's making it. He's making this angle and this character still work above what I feel is is uh, too much hands on with it. It's yeah. it's it's one instance where until this point where it's been a little handsy with Tony Khan getting in there or yep. creative elements of it interfering. To me, it, it's it's one example of of the, of letting the artist paint their art, mm-hmm. you know, and create their art. And I feel like that's what it seems like at least. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a good call, Daryl. Christian would be a Christian is a good call. I was going to yeah. say MJF. I would sure. I would have minded maybe like. Uh, I would have minded you know Sting's last match you know. Whether win, lose, or draw, he's fighting MJF for the title. Let's say MJF keeps the title at this next pay per view. He's scheduled to face Samoa Joe um, for the for the world title. Um, and let's just say MJF, you know, they find out who the devil is, and allegedly, I think it's going to be Adam Cole. I think that's how it's kind of the direction it's leaning in with Adam Cole. I think people are talking Wardlow and the Fortune. Yeah, the fortune. or the 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 Pinnacle. Yeah, yeah, fortune. fortune. What, that's what eight, that's TNA. Mean? Yeah, uh, yeah, another horseman ripoff. But anyways, um, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing MJF go back heel, and he was the devil all along, thinking every trying to fool everybody, and then he brings horrific, but yeah, and then he in a very Vince Russo ish type manner. But I'm sure that they can dress it up a little bit. That'd be kind of cool. cool. But I wouldn't mind seeing also MJF being like the classic heel against Sting the Babyface. Put the title on the line. All right, it's your last match. I'm going to give you an opportunity at the championship. You can retire as the hero, as the champion. Um, But, uh, you know, I'll give you the chance to do that. But at the same time, you know, I'm going to be the one to put you out the pasture for good, et cetera, et cetera. Crush your dream on the way out the door, all this other stuff. That'd be great use of what we've talked about as MJF's strengths. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing. So, like Christian, MJF, even Darby, I think are, are, are good choices for that role. Um, I do want to touch a little bit upon AEW. Um, they've pretty much had a rough year, I would say, in terms of um, you know uh, popularity amongst the fans. There's like a, you and I talked about in a text this morning. There's been few bright spots that I see in them. There's certain guys I like to watch. I think some of these Continental Classic tournament matches have actually been pretty fun to watch with the pairings. Um, I'm big on Swerve Strickland right now. I didn't see him as a main event guy, even when he was in NXT. I didn't think like, oh, this guy's going to be the guy someday. But I think he can be their guy in AEW with what he's been able to produce yeah, with the stuff I, he's done with Hangman. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Like He could be their guy. I'm not saying yeah. he'll go to WWE yeah, and be the that's guy. That's a great way to put it. Okay? Yeah. But I think if he I think if he goes if if they give him the belt at some point in the next year or so, it, I think he can be the guy for them and maybe over time if he builds his body of work and he goes back that there's an opportunity for him to maybe. be a little bit higher up the card than just being a cruiserweight classic member or whatever yeah. the fuck he was. You know what I mean? Yep. So um, <clears throat> I like some of the guys. I like Danielson's work. I think there's we talked about it. There's way too many guys on their rosters. They have like eight rosters between Rampage and Collision and Ring of Honor and Dynamite and all this other shit. There's just so much going on that it's it's hard to keep up. I think there's way too many talent that aren't being used. I would love to see Miro go back to WWE as Rusev. I would love to see Andrade go back to WWE. I think that he was better used there. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. Especially with Triple H at the helm. Um, I would love to see Samoa Joe and FTR go back to WWE because I think they would definitely fit well back under the leadership of Triple H. Um, but AEW has struggled in the last several months. I, I find some bright spots when I watch the show, but the, for the most part, I'm kind of fast-forwarding everything. 
But what would you like to see out of AEW moving forward going into 2024? Daryl, you, you share first. Well, first of all, I mean, AEW, you know, their their fan base is getting really, really low. I mean, I see on the internet that that they would that with fans would take pictures and their fan base is just like the, the attendance at the shows, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that the best thing that what they should do, you know, for for a lower audience that they're getting is to perform in a uh, small stage show. I mean, like, you know, kind of like um like the way TNA did. You the know, old WCW. Universal shows? Yeah, like TNA did and WCW did. and, and Even some of the smaller venues. They Like a lot of those. Like I, we went. We, yeah, Hammerstein would be nice. We went to Boston, you know, University of Boston a couple of years ago and saw AEW. That's a small three, you know, 3,500, 5,000 seat venue, I think. They filled it up, but it would look better if they were to perform in smaller. You know, the UIC Pavilion in Chicago is, a, is another spot they could run, you know. They, they, they run these big shows or these big venues and they, they could hardly fill them up. It's just, it, it 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 doesn't kill the vibe of the show, but you, you're watching it and you're just like, there's something different about it. Yeah, I w- agreed. I think, I think if maybe they scaled the model down a little bit in terms of the presentation and worked these shows and these 3,500, 4,000, maybe 5,000 tops arenas and then you can you can do your pay-per-views at your LA forums and your uh you know wherever they do all all in or whatever mm-hmm. or all out you know or you know well I want to talk to you about that too cuz right. all well, in all in this you know this past year in London they had 80 something thousand people yeah, that's whether one he, thing. whether that's he a... bought fucking tickets or not I'm not going to get into that I don't but, really care about that but, but I just think that for AEW like we talked about this morning like my, I'm of the belief that they've never really had a real identity. They've always been trying to keep up with the Joneses, or that is WWE, the yeah. Joneses. They're trying to compete. They're trying to do things to, to 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 shock you, to bring you in. And by shocking you, they're trying to do different things. To me, they need to find one consistent identity, whatever that is. I would prefer that identity to not be like you and I talked about WWE light. You know what I mean? Well, that Try Moxley, those different things. The Moxley interview that I read, he had said that they need to focus on being the true alternative and having doing something different. And these type of matches, like the yeah. Continental Classic tournament and stuff like that, with the point system, like that's a good start, I think, for them. Yeah, um, having like the Blue League and the Goalie. You might have to take a couple steps back to go three forward. You know what exactly. I mean? Like I, you know, like I said to you, like. Listen, this is like a football team that was up a couple touchdowns to go into the half. They come out of the second half and they lose their lead. Now they're down three touchdowns. Yeah. So what do they got to do? They got to they got to start throwing, you know, chucking passes down the field and slinging the ball all across. But lest we forget, they scored all those touchdowns with a kick-ass running back. Yeah. And now they can't use that running back anymore because they decided to desert their best, you know, and their strengths that made them so unique. And I feel like that's what AEW has done and they haven't really committed to anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that's kind of, do you think the punk stuff hurt them in terms of like, like fan base and, and, and audience kind of detaching themselves from a, from a, from a raw numbers perspective, probably. Yeah. It it must have because Tony Khan, all he did was brag about how valuable he was to their company from a ratings perspective, from a merchandise perspective, you know, from TV deals. He all, that's all he ever did was brag about that guy and how valuable he was. Um, So by virtue of the fact that he's no longer there. Yeah. It probably does hurt them. Um, But like I said to you before, to me, it sounds like those problems that they, that they've had, that they're having that are coming to light. 
to me have always it sounds like they've just the they've, ju- they've been there it just hasn't it, they've been they've been they've been covered up by outside forces that yeah. have been beneficial up until this point you yeah. know the various things the being being new the honeymoon period covid uh you know cm punk coming in brian danielson coming in whoever you know now it sounds like they don't have a lot more rabbits to pull out or things to kind of save their hide and just the lack of infrastructure the lack of management of their talent roster or their company seems to be those weaknesses seem to be really showing and it's it's perpetuating the per- do you perception think they could have worked there. out the stuff with punk sure of course they could okay I would imagine they could, yeah. Why do you not? think it's better? Do you think it would have been better for him to stay with the company and and work things out and move forward, or do you think like there was too much too much blood on everybody's hands and they had to they had to walk away? And obviously, we saw Punk return just recently to, to WWE at Survivor Series. I will say from a for the for Phil Brooks the person, not that I know him because I sure as hell don't. For Phil Brooks, the person, it is probably best that he's in the WWE for, we'll tie this to Starcade, for the reason that Dusty Rhodes ends up leaving WCW in 1988. He left there after having been a wrestler, a booker, a promoter, in charge of all these things, wearing all these hats, carrying all this burden and this load to help this company. Got burnt out. Right. To then go to WWE to be told you're just Dusty Rhodes here. Yeah. Have fun. Do what you do best. Yeah. Much like Cody you're here Rhodes. To wrestle, he, you ain't here to do all the other shit. Much like Cody Rhodes when he came back to WWE. He came back. He's not the EVP anymore. He's not doing this reality show. He's not doing this. He's here to be Dusty Rhodes or Cody Rhodes, the American Nightmare. CM yeah. Punk gets to do what he does best, and it's be CM Punk. So he would be still doing all the things that have that made the stress of being at AEW. He'd still be doing all those things. Yep. He's not doing those here. And for him as a person, as a professional, it's probably best that way. Yeah. So I'm glad that he's where he's at because he doesn't have to be in that mess where he feels like he has to take on so much. A lot left off the table for him, I'll say that, in terms of you know what he, what he could have been capable of um, down there with all the guys he could have worked Definitely. with. And, you know, his injuries didn't help either. He got hurt a couple of times. And so you know, it, was a, it was a string of bad luck here. As we're in the main event right now, Ric Flair, Lex Luger. For the NWA World Heavyweight Championship to close out Stark. This is a rematch from the 88 Great American Bash where we saw the controversial finish of Luger racking Flair and the referee calling for the bell thinking that Luger won, but the referee called for the bell because the Maryland State Athletic Commission stopped the match because Luger had bled. I don't know if you remember hearing that story. Yeah, no, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. and it was funny too because I think later on, Ric Flair told this, and I think his book. Um, whenever they ran Baltimore, um, they would have Harley Race sit at ringside with the athletic director. I think I've heard that story. And, and when the guy cuts, you know, Harley would either tell him like, "No, sit down, you're not doing shit," or he would say, "Oh no, that's just fake blood. It's part of the show. Yeah, it's yeah, not, yeah. you know what I mean?" Like he, so Harley was basically there to fucking make sure that the guy didn't fuck the show up. Maybe they, maybe AEW needs a Harley Race. That's well, they need somebody. That's I'll tell you that right now. They Not need. a disciplined police or a, a Daniel Bryan sheriff. Sorry, yeah. Bryan Danielson. <laughs> they don't need a social media a policeman and Bryan Danielson. They just need a they need a Harley race guy who's going to go in there and be your your Mister Wilson. So, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll we'll kind of continue this AEW stuff uh, as we're watching this match here. Um, Edge, WWE, had his last match in Toronto on a SmackDown I thought back in August. I thought it was a great 
way to send him off if that was how he was going to go. I thought, you know, he was going to stick around because given his history, he ended up joining AEW in October. Um, have you caught any of, of the stuff that Adam Copeland, the rated R superstar has been doing? Nothing in long form. Um, I'm glad for the guy. I do. I wasn't a surprise based on the fact that it was out there as a rumor. Um, but you know, it's not. It's not the major leagues. Yeah. So, but I'm glad he 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 it he 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 scratched. He's scratching that itch. What to know what it's like to yeah, leave the castle? To, yeah. Well, I think also strike too, out on his own a little bit. So I'm glad for him in that respect. Yeah. I mean, I've caught a couple of things. I just watched the match with Christian recently with the whole Nick Wayne's mom getting involved. I thought the match was good up until that point with the finish. Um, but I, uh, it's, I really, I doubled down and was like, there's no way he's joining. There's no way. Like the send off they just gave him and they, I just didn't see it happening. And I mean, good for him that he wants to walk away on his own terms, be with his best friend and Christian and, and kind of create what they, what they feel that they're capable of on that canvas, that platform. You know, he said that, that he's looking for the challenge. So, I mean, yeah. he's, oh, he, yeah. he's sure going to get a challenge. He's going to get a challenge. AEW. That's for sure, in my opinion. And I'm not trying to bash AEW because, you know, I I do like aspects of it. I think there are certain parts of it that I like that are different than what WWE presents. But at the end of the day, it's um, – oh, look at that. Lou Thez in attendance. Yeah. Not here on TV as we're watching this. And, nope, there's Jim Hurd. He caught a little shot of Jim Hurd, too. Um the pizza guy. And we are at two hours, 11 minutes, or two hours and 12 minutes and one second as we're currently uh, on this. Uh, but yeah, Edge's last match in Toronto, I didn't really see him joining. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it it's made, I mean, the stuff with him and Christian has been pretty compelling, more so than what a lot of those other guys are doing right now there currently. So I'll give him that, that he's been a bright spot for them one of the bright spots along with christian and, uh, and swerve and you know I, I could find the silver linings in some of these things what yeah. i hope to see from them is that they can keep some consistency and i really feel so strongly that they have to scale back on who they have like maybe they have to fucking let some guys go or maybe they have to you know you know cut, cut a few people loose i just feel like there's so much going on that it's hard to keep up it really is. There's this guy's feuding with this guy, but he's got something going on with this guy, and he might have something going on with that guy. And then, like, you know, it's the, you can't. It's it's really hard. Like MJF, he's fighting with everybody. You know, yeah. Samoa Joe, he's got the thing with now he started something with Hangman the other night. You know, that might lead to something. But then he's got the stuff unresolved with Adam Cole that's kind of still up in the air. And Roderick Strong with a neck brace and all this other Adam. You know, all that shit. Like, there's way too much going on. It's hard to keep up. And I, I. I, wa- I have it on my DVR and I watch it because, you know, it's it's another form of wrestling. And I watch it like, oh, who was on? Because I don't watch it live right? because of my schedule. Yeah, I don't watch same. a lot of wrestling live because of my schedule. Yep. With, with, with my work schedule. Like, I was able to watch Tribute to the Troops last night because I was home same. from work. Same. Um, so, a lot of times I'll go back and read what the results were and I'll be like, oh, this was a good match? Oh, they think this is a good match? All right, I'll watch this. Or, oh, so-and-so was on? I'll check this out. Yeah. You know, I'm not doing a whole lot of watching wrestling except for either one of these watch-alongs or if I'm home for a PLE or a pay-per-view. Right, right. You know, um, I wanted to touch on, we'll kind of jump back to WWE here um, for a little bit. Did the Bloodline storyline jump the shark? 
to have it peaked. Girl, you take that one. Do first. you think the bloodline storyline? I and when I think it peaked, I think I think it. I think after. I think after the SummerSlam match with Roman and Jay, I thought it kind of lost its special feeling. What do you think about the Bloodline story, Daryl? I have to say, you know, for the past, you know, two or three years since Roman became champion when the Bloodline started to grow and, and, you know, they, you know, they gained, they became real dominant as ever. And I think after SummerSlam, it start, it kind of started to, I mean, well, after WrestleMania, when the Usos, you know, lost the tag belts and they were starting to, they were being turned on by Roman and mm-hmm. all that, it started to slow down, you know, yeah, a little bit more. That's a good way of putting it, slowing down, yeah. Um, I would say that it feels like everything's on pause. Um, because, and I, and I feel like the large reason I say that is because nothing seems to be of substance it's all it goes as Roman Reigns goes. And if Roman Reigns isn't there and if and if it doesn't appear that there is a threat to Roman Reigns as a champion as the leader of the family, then it doesn't matter. Like was I glad to see LA Knight get a chance at getting a a main event spot against Roman Reigns at Crown Jewel? Absolutely. Yeah. We all knew where that was leading and it was what what it was. Roman Reigns got his hand raised and that's that's what it was. Um I know we're, we're, we're probably approaching the beginnings of a storyline with Randy Orton and Roman Reigns. I look forward to that greatly. So it just seems like it's on pause. Like it's on cruise control right now. Um, nothing. But do you think it jumped the shark? Like I, like I think the SummerSlam match, the, the, the tribal, whatever, the tribal, tribal combat, combat. And there was supposed to be no interference. That was the rules for the tribal combat. Right. And then they had interference in the match, which – was silly of us all to think that there wasn't going to be any interference, right. but the fact that they advertised that that was part of the rules, and then they changed, it. and then they changed it, um, and then the, the, like the excuse, Jimmy's Jimmy's half-ass excuse as to why he turned on Jay, like I just feel like it was like they were kind of, I don't want to say grasping at straws, but they were throwing some things out there to see if it would stick, so that it could still kind of maintain that buzz that it was getting. Um, I think they were doing that because, in my opinion, which makes this one of the great storylines of all time, is that the strength of Roman was able to be rubbed onto Jimmy, Solo, Jay. Where when I got main event Jay Uso on Monday Night Raw, yeah. Jimmy Uso is a little bit of a player on SmackDown. Solo Sokoa is still rising. Yeah. And they've been able to kind of carry the load. It's not barefoot anymore. Yeah, they've got it. They've carried the load without with Roman being so part-time. And I think that's the goal. That was the goal. How, do, how does Roman Reigns make a guy? How does Roman Reigns put some shine on people? And I think he's done that with his with his relatives. Good for him. Um, obviously, it's still not having the same effect of Roman Reigns being there because, like I said, it goes as Roman goes. Yeah, and that's where it, that's where like the stimul the, the interest comes is when Roman shows up. This is going to be a little bit of an off beaten path comparison because I love analogies. Um, but there was a time for a long time as a Red Sox fan, the Boston Red Sox fan that I am, where. You'd have Pedro Martinez was was their ace pitcher, and you had four other guys. You know, not that they were nameless, crappy pitchers, but pitcher one guy would play, and whatever happened happened. The next guy would be the pitcher, and then oh, it's it's Thursday night, and Pedro's starting. It's a big deal. Yeah, Boston Globe's talking about it. ESPN, it's big news. It's a big deal, and that's kind of like the shot in the arm that Pedro gave the fan base. Yeah, that's what I feel like Roman Reigns is. 
He's the shot in the arm for the bloodline. He's the shot in the arm for SmackDown. He's the shot in the arm for the company because he's so part-time. Um, so, I, like, again, to me, it's I don't know if he jumped the shark. It's I just over. thought the buzz surrounding it's, it. It's kind of over. Yeah. It's kind of over. And that's yeah. fine because now it's showing us that these guys can do these things on their own. It's like in the epilogue stage of, like, where are they now? Yeah. You know what I mean? And Roman will come in and as he does and do whatever. So, again... I'm I'm looking forward to what we think is going to happen with Randy Orton, and in that respect, it may reignite that same buzz that we saw at SummerSlam and previous at WrestleMania and things like that. And yeah, that's what I hope we can see, especially as we get to that time of year because we're getting there. We're, we're we're approaching the best time of the year. Yep. And who better to be there to to take that buzz even higher and elevate WWE than than our tribal chief? Yep. Flair Luger here. In this main event, starting to put some work in. As you see, Luger, Luger uh, gaining a, a good sweat on here. Um, you think we're approaching, you know, you said best time of the year. WrestleMania season's coming up. They announce Hall of Fame. You think this is Luger's year to get in? I would hope so because, you know, I mean, Luger, you know, even though that he, he never won a world championship in WWE, I mean, he did. He and Bret Hart were the only two to win the Royal Rumble because they both got eliminated. The tie, and especially never you know, been done since. Yeah, and Luger was the first guy to body slam Yokozuna on the Fourth of July. Yep, and he headlined SummerSlam against Yokozuna. Yeah, and it was. And to me, that match was kind of remind me a little bit of WrestleMania three between Hogan and Andre because of the slam. Yeah, yeah, the slam and the build up and all that. You know, yeah, I could see that from a like almost yeah. like a torch passing. Like crowning moment, type yeah. Of perspective, yeah, exactly. And then, of course, at the end, of course, the result of SummerSlam '93, where Luger gets his hand raised by winning by countout, and the celebration, you know, which was kind of strange, but uh, I think it was just because the reason that he got countout was because they were trying to uh, to protect him and you know groom him and see if there's. I personally game. think they should have gone with the victory. I know people are crazy; people might be crazy, but you built him up that way only for. You to drop balloons from the ceiling for it a countout, like if anything. All right, if you didn't, if you realized he, we're gonna go off the beat path here. If you realized he wasn't gonna work out, okay, what would have been what would have been so wrong for to give him the belt and maybe do a transitional run for like a month, or have him drop the title at like a house show and then they make or or a random episode of Monday Night Raw, yeah, or, or superstars and make a deal out of that, you know, yeah. They probably weren't totally uncommitted to him. They, it, it seems like to me, based off of maybe what's been out there or whatnot, it it would have it would appear like they weren't totally ready to go, but they were still committed to trying. You know what I mean? That's probably what that signaled to me. I could be wrong. Yeah, That's just a, a a guesstimate of anything. Nice but, leapfrog by Luger. Um, but yeah, I would totally. I think Luger's getting in this year. I think Luger is getting in the Hall of Fame, and I think. He was you on know, the bump recently, and they yeah, mentioned it. So I'm kind of I, – I, I think that's, that's where – where the meeting had, and they're going to shoot a WWE 24. And yeah. That was where that footage is going to come from. Plus, like, Stars and Stripes, Lex Luger, uh, the birthplace of America, Philadelphia. Like, you, you know, that's what the that's probably where the Hall of Fame package is going to go. You know, the yeah. shots of him at the Liberty Bell, the Lex Express, and yep. then, of course, some WCW stuff. And, of yeah, course, the, the theme song, I'll be your hero. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a that heartthrob song. That was a good one, it. yeah. I think, I think, I think, yeah, I think he's getting in. And you want to hear a funny story? You you just brought up the, the I'll be your hero song. 
when I was in like the fourth grade, I think, I think it was in the fourth grade, um, in elementary school, I won the spelling bee for my class. And I remember I had to go to the school-wide spelling bee to compete with the other classes in the hallway, of the other like fourth grade class in the hallway. And I remember the other kids, like they 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 had like signs and stuff like that, like you know, go David or whatever. And I swear to God, I'm not I'm not bullshitting you when you say this. We're walking down the hallway, and in my head, I'm picturing that shot of when Luger gets off of the helicopter on the Intrepid, <laughs> and all the kids are surrounding him, and I'm in this. I'm in this wave going down the hallway with like kids to my left and kids to my right from my classroom. I couldn't even tell you what their fucking names are now. And I'm walking down the hallway and I got this. I'll be your hero in my head. I was going to body slam the fucking spelling bee at Pitkin Elementary School. Oh I thought I was going to. I swear to God. I'm not exaggerating. I know. That's hilarious. I'm not exaggerating. I swear to God. People are probably listening to this thing. They're like, oh, he's so full of shit. No, I swear to God. I have For it the in time my, it would have placed well. It and I'm, and I'm trying to walk down the hallway like I'm Luger too, you yeah. know. All big and jacked up and shit, you know. Before Goldberg, I had my zoo. I, had, I think I had like Zubaz sweatpants Probably. on, so I was like kind of fit in the role. I just needed a fanny pack, and I'd have been good. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. I'm just I'm walking down the hallway like I'm all jacked and shit, and I got yeah, go Dave, go yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I get First on the stage. Me, that's great. I think I got like fourth place or something. Like I didn't even slam anybody. I think a I, Lex Luger finish. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> uh, exactly. So you certainly were cast well exactly. as Lex Luger in the spelling bee. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Awesome. I didn't even tie with anybody. No, no man. No, I was man. like, I swear, it just it the was most my... Lexist of Luger <laughs> ways to compete in a spelling bee. As Mr. Perfect would say, the Lexercist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, forget. He screwed Lex Luger at WrestleMania 10. <laughs> that's right. He did. He did. Yes, and he that did. That was like the beginning of the end for Lex Luger. Sad to say. Well, I feel like, too, if that happened now, like, people probably would have cheered that. Like, yeah, perfect. Fucking put him out to pasture. Like, we're sick of this guy. Give us Brad. Well, if you watch back That's that, if you watch back that WrestleMania, that. that New York crowd, they, <laughs> they Lux. it was a mixed reaction for when they, for when that, they booed because of the finish, but at the same time, Luger didn't win, oh, so they good, were happy because they probably wanted Brett to win. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I awesome. saw this story I wanted to share with you. This is a funny story. This is interesting, okay? This came from The Observer. Jimmy Hart and The Ultimate Warrior were on their way to Daytona Beach following a show and stopped at a convenience store where an escaped convict pulled a gun on Jimmy Hart. Warrior strolled up, not realizing the guy had a gun, and asked if there was any trouble. And the story, probably a bit exaggerated, goes that the guy pointed the gun at Warrior and told Hart he was going to shoot Warrior, but then saw Warrior had left the keys in the car, so he stole the car instead. Either the convict flipped the car and died 16 miles down the road, or police chased him, which led to him flipping the car, and then he died trying to escape the police. It's unclear which is the case. Never heard that story. I can just imagine, like, Jimmy Hart, he's going into the convenience store. He's in the 7-Eleven. He's going to go, you know, he, he's going <laughs> gonna to get his beans in a can. Yeah, he's okay? out with his big gulp. Yeah, <laughs> he's got his big gulp, right? He's like, all right, Dad, let me get a lottery ticket here. Can I get a pick five and a, and a mega ball and a mega million? Yeah, Humming yeah, some but, song on the yeah, way out back yeah, to the car. The Gentry's, right? He's probably oh. singing this one song that he got famous for. And then all of a sudden, this guy pops in and he, you know recognizes Jimmy because Jimmy was a recognizable guy at the time. And he pulls his piece out or whatever. And then Warrior shows up and he's like, "What the fuck is going on in here?" You know. Yeah. <laughs> and, 
you know, and, and he starts beating his chest, like, ah, you know. Yeah, the, the, that sounds like a better account than the one you actually rattled off. There was the, the, the <laughs> That's probably the, the true one. I was going to say the account, the account you rattled off definitely sounded like, especially when you talk about the car chase or whatever, the car flipping over. That sounds like the the whole Hogan School of Journalism report there. Was well, Terry, I mean, was, Christ, was, was Meltzer, Terry Balea, Meltzer's the, got the, all these sources the in the locker room, but he couldn't get a, he couldn't get a police report. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Right. He couldn't get a police report, but he's going to report on it. Like, oh, this might have happened. Yeah. Come on, give me a break. Um, one thing that in 2023 has shown, when it comes to wrestling journalism, more so than they ever have over the years, is that these wrestling journalists have shown their ass when it comes to a lot of these stories and their opinions. You know the. Dave Meltzer obviously being at the top of the list, but not far behind is Brian Alvarez, and then you got Sean Ross Sapp, who is a fucking child. Yeah, the on social media, they're not. We should just stop calling them journalists now. They're not journalists. Yeah. I don't. I think they're just personalities, and it's all about you know sensationalizing or not even sensationalizing, just it's attention grabbing. It's 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 saying it's 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 shooting first and asking questions later yep. type of mentality talk about things in terms of journalists showing their ass an actual journalist i forgot the guy's name but he was the one that reported the story that saudi arabia had bought the wwe oh yeah that fucked that guy's life up yeah uh he was like some beat reporter for like the zone or espn like on the yes. ground somewhere yeah that's not a that's like and guys like sap followed the story and yeah. and reported on it as if there was some truth to it and there wasn't. And there and wasn't. And then he tried to fucking. And the guys like Sap tried to play it off like they had never, they had never ran with the story, right? And again, they do that because they they just you know this is how you get this is how you get attention, this is how you get clicks. Like this is they're not in the game of being right. They're in the game of having an opinion. Yeah, you know what I mean. And that's that is that all? It's not that all all that different from what you see on. ESPN, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, wherever, you know what I mean? Like it's it, yes, is there journalism out there and should that be celebrated? 100%. Um but if I think we just go into these things realizing what it is, I think we'll all feel a lot better with ourselves. Like you know it's funny you you brought you, you brought this up. Shoot first, ask questions later. You know, a few weeks few weeks ago at the time of this recording, there was Survivor Series. And the big story was, was is CM Punk going to re-sign with WWE? Is he going to come back? The show's in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And everybody and their mother was saying, no, it's not going to happen. The Meltzers, the, the, the Sean Ross Saps of the world, it's not going to happen. Even up until the time of the show, I think Sean Ross Sapp put something out there on social media that um, it's not going to happen. You right. know, like, we, and then someone else put out, like, as of right now, all we've been hearing is that he's not even on their radar, but this could be the best well-kept secret. We'll just have to find out. And it turned out it was. That's a hedging statement. Okay. Yeah. I think WrestleVotes on Twitter put that out. They're the yeah. ones that has the inside scoop. They're the ones that seem to be the most reliable. Yeah. Um, and it's good that way because it's it's nameless. It's faceless. Yeah, exactly. No, there's no Sonora Sap. Exactly. There's no Dave Meltzer. It's not someone's name on it. It's a so punk comes. So, so Punk comes words. back, shocks the world, okay? Right after Randy Orton came back, who was advertised to return to begin mm -hmm. with, okay? And then the Sean Ross Saps of the world and Fightful put this story out about all the details surrounding his return and what they knew about within it. Within 30 minutes of within, it. Within 30 minutes of it happening. But meanwhile, two and a half, three hours ago, you're telling all your subscribers that subscribe to your fucking, your, 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 your rag, that this isn't happening. That, you, that everybody you've spoken to yep. says it's not a thing. 
right? Yeah. So how the fuck do you know all the details 30 minutes after it happened? Well, here's the thing. Either they, you're fucking misleading your audience. Which I think is pos- very possible. Okay, you're misleading your audience on the initial post or you didn't know shit. Now you're just making shit up along the way. I think depending on who it is, it's one or the other. Like like it, Meltzer might know, might have known something but misled and Sean Ressap didn't know and is covering his ass or vice versa. Yeah. I definitely think there's a, it's probably a little bit of both depending on who is the the guilty party yep um because like you said it is on it is kind of i want to say unethical to sit there and again because you have all the time to comment you have all the time to talk you have all the time to to, to, to drum up so if someone asks you a question because they think you're a journalist go hey srs do you think that cm punk's coming back well i heard this so probably not and then you find out 30 minutes later after punk comes back here's the full details in the scoop well that you're not fucking credible if you're going to tell us that it, if you're going to lie to us when we ask you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Those guys are a fucking joke. You know what would have been more honest? And I read that stuff for entertainment more, and to speculate with you. Yeah, you, you know what I mean? That's what, that's what purpose is. I think if you answer the question with, we have unconfirmed reports right now that there may be talks. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you had been a little more honest about it, because you're lying straight to people's faces. Yeah. But it, on the other side, like I said, I think much of it, a little bit of both, but much of it is probably... We don't know, and we still don't know, and we're going to pretend like we do know. Yeah, is probably a lot of it. But either yeah. way, we a new year uh, a new year's resolution for all of us. Maybe let's stop calling wrestling journalists journalists because they're not. They're 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 pundits. They're personalities. Personalities probably stretching it too. Yeah, I, I, I think I think I, I, the the best term I could I could come up. It's it it's a working title at this point, but I would say um, wrestling. Wrestling record takers. That's not even. That sounds official. I would say they're okay. they're they're they're, fo- they're followers of the business. Okay, they're uh, followers yeah. of the business. All right. That yeah, I can I can go with that. The followers. Yeah. The followers have reported. Yeah, yeah. that's what they are. <laughs> they're followers. Yeah. Well, while we're on the subject, what did you think of Punk's return? Oh, I think that Punk's return was just unbelievable. I mean. I mean, at first, I wasn't quite sure if he was really deep down inside wanting to come back to WWE. But when he got suspended in his first problems he had in AEW, I mean, he, of course, he got suspended. Mm-hmm. He was like, rumor has it that he was backstage on Raw. He visited at Raw, yep. Yeah, and he yeah. was making amends with Triple H and yeah. all that. And I'm thinking to myself, is he really going to come back to WWE? I mean, if it's, if that's really the case, then... Wow, maybe he really has made amends and he really wanted to come back. But then, of he course, was setting up his next booking. Had things gone south, in my opinion, that's yeah. That's just that's just put some feelers out there to see if there was going to be any interest. Yeah. And he knows how big of a name he is. Saw the writing on the wall. Yeah, maybe. And I guess uh, toward the, the end, wall. yeah, maybe. And I guess uh, toward the end, once he had that backstage fight with uh, Jungle Boy, maybe he felt like that there was something about AEW that he probably didn't like or anything i'm i'm not yeah, sure that they're not men then they all fear for their fucking life yeah and he fe- <laughs> and, and they probably fear for punk too guys and- i had to let him go i didn't want to do it yeah. i i i don't know I, I so i i think we had already talked about it in the in the in the run-up to it with all the rumors circulating and i think the consensus i had was it would be too simple and obvious to bring him back at survivor series but he'll probably come back eventually and i kind of earmarked like wrestlemania season or even Post WrestleMania, the night after WrestleMania, as yeah. like the time frame, the range where he'd probably come back. Yeah, I just thought, oh, we 
We've seen the Chicago thing before. That's been played to death. Well, we've also seen the the surprise entrant in the Rumble thing, too. Yeah, so to me, I was like, I don't know. I'm not really sure, but I'm sure he'll come back eventually because everyone comes back. But for me, where I was watching it with, with with a colleague of mine and his cousin who I think are closer to your age in terms of fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them kind of shares a similar sentiments as you do in terms of dislike for punk and just the things that I think he's said a in hypocrite. the past. And yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's used the word hypocrite as well. So I kind of, and my other friend who I work with, who is the cousin of this person, he's a huge punk he's fan. He's the opposite. Huge punk fan. Yeah. So, and I'm like, I'm the shit stirrer. I'm the, stall, the straw guy. Yeah. So I'm the straw that stirs the drink and I play both sides of it yep. when we're talking about it. So when we're at my buddy's house watching the Survivor Series, my friend who who does not like CM Punk turns to us and goes, you see guys, as the copyright sign is coming, you see guys, I told you he's not coming back and like, I couldn't have been timed or scripted oh, better. <laughs> Cult of personality plays yeah. and we're like, it was just perfect. Yeah. So I, from that, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was awesome. Very well played. Yeah, very well done. Yeah. Uh, like I said, if, if it, I was somewhat in this in the camp of all right. It's probably not happening tonight, but if it does, it's going to be one of the best World Cup secrets in wrestling. Kudos to everybody who made that happen. Glad to see that Punk's back, um, and you know we'll see what happens. I you know this may sound like I'm like I'm like I'm on the bandwagon when it comes to him. You know, I said before he joined AEW that if he never came back to wrestling, I wouldn't lose sleep over it, and I didn't. He sure. came back. I felt the same way. He came back, and I was like, okay, cool. Like, maybe he can help them get to the next level. Mm-hmm. Work with these guys. Work with certain guys. You know, I think his best stuff in AEW was with the stuff with MJF. Mm-hmm. The run with MJF, I think, was the best stuff that he did there. Yep. 100%. Um, when he left, you know, all the whole – everybody was at fault for that shit that took place at – after the pay-per-view when they had the fight. Not the first one with Jack Perry, but everybody was at fault. The Bucks were at fault. Punk was unprofessional in front of his boss. Tony Khan should have been the one to, to, to nip that whole thing in the bud. I think everybody holds blame for that. Absolutely. You know, you, you, you have people on one side saying that, you know, the Bucks were using their politics to keep to, 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 to mess with Punk, but Punk was, you know, playing the entitled top guy and et cetera. Whatever. Everybody fucked up in that scenario, okay? Definitely. The fact that Tony Khan created a show to keep them separated, okay, says a lot. About- says a lot about the fact that he's he's not fit to be the guy running 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 their company. Mm-hmm. He can't delegate anything to any of those guys because they're all going to complain about it. So the fact that he couldn't sit them all down and say, "Listen, guys, we have a chance to make a lot of money here. All right, so you guys better get your shit together and figure it out, otherwise." You guys no longer hold executive titles, and, and, and you're out the door. And if you don't like it, tough shit. And yeah. you, same thing. You're gone, too. I don't yeah. care how much my opinion. He yeah. should have been the one to fucking lay down the law from the get-go, but he didn't, okay? Yeah. So all this falls on him at the end of the day, in my Absolutely. opinion. Absolutely. Okay? Oh, he takes a good chunk of the blame. I don't care how much what Punk did. I don't care what the, what the elite did. I don't care about any of that shit, all right? So when he got fired again, okay, or he didn't get fired again. He got fired the first time. I thought, okay. I could see him tucking his tail between his legs and going back to WWE as a fuck you to to, to AEW. Okay. Oh yeah. Hundred percent. Sure. All right. But that also proves my point that he's a hypocrite. Okay. Now, yes, I get it. Time heals all wounds, but you know, he. My problem with him was just he always 
portrayed himself as the victim when it came to how he felt he was treated. Yeah. He, I listened to that shoot interview with him and Colt Cabana, all right? And the two of them, you know, the first thing he started off with, this isn't a fuck WWE podcast. And not even and five minutes, minutes later, in. he went in and talked about how much money he should have made for this match and he should have been a main event at this WrestleMania and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, fuck Vince and fuck Hunter and all this other stuff, right? So he showed his ass there. He showed that he completely contradicts himself. He's a walking contradiction. So when coming back to WWE and making this big return, was it cool? Yes, it was. Okay. I know that he won't be able to pull the shit he pulls that he pulled in AEW with WWE because there's more of a, a structure in that locker room. Nobody will put up with that shit. Okay. Because in a sense, he's right. He's He worked with a bunch of fucking children yeah, over at Daly's yeah. place. You yeah. know, now he's back with adults. Um, do I want to see the guy go out on his own terms? Sure. From a professional standpoint, absolutely. Do I think he's contributed a fair amount to the business? He sure has. Um, do I think he was underutilized in his previous run? No, I don't. I think... I agree. He got a lot done in yes, his career. Exactly. This wasn't exactly. some criminal multiple, misuse of him. Exactly. Multiple world titles in top angles. Worked with some top guys. Okay. You did Undertaker at WrestleMania. Exactly. You know okay. I mean? You didn't Two end, money in the bank matches. Yeah. Two money in the banks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like in multiple top angles. People have with, sacrificed their lives to not get what he got. It, yeah. You know, what I, you know mean? what I mean? So like for him to fucking cry poor me for that previous run, like, all right, I'm sure that there was some bullshit in politics that he had to deal with with management. I'm sure of it, okay? Sure. And there is some truth to it. But for him to sit there and play victim from his previous run, I don't buy it. And that's what I had a problem with that and the fact that he shit on the wrestling fans when he went to UFC to do that fucking publicity stunt. That just rubbed me the wrong way because wrestling is what got you the that payday that you yeah. got at, to, to fight in UFC, exactly. not having a single fight under your belt to begin with. Yeah. All right? So... Him being back, there's some intriguing matchups. But again, had he not come back, With the nice finish on the I would I wouldn't have lost any sleep. Okay, no, I don't think so either. I think he it would have been fine. I I I think he's. I don't know. I'm not going to say he's a changed man because what happened that forced him out was so. F- but people recent. could change too. Oh, I definitely think he. You have to. Yeah. To be able to make that to make that step and that departure from how he behaved. Leaving WWE in AEW while he was not, you know, you know what I mean. So to have the he had to. Oh wait a minute, Flair referee caught it. There had to be some moments, you know what I mean. There had to be there had to be some some reckoning from him for himself um, to be able to decide to do that. But yeah, he he's gotten emotional about the way he was treated and the lawsuit and you know all of those things. So I respect the fact that he made the the he's made whatever progress he's had. To feel good about going back because he, he he probably didn't have to, and he also you know and, and, I mean? and let's face it, I'm sure that financially it had to it had to be up to par for oh, him to return. Yeah, as well. he I wasn't going to do that. Let's shit face for it, free. Like, he wasn't like as much passion as he has for the industry or that he claims to have for the industry. Money plays a big factor into it as well. Hey, he's got bills to pay too. Yeah, you know what I mean. We all do. So you know, as much as I love doing anything, if it comes at a gross uh, amount of underpay, yeah. Yeah, I'm not doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? You got mouths to feed, you got bills to pay. So, um it's it, I I hope this is this is the beginning of of a happy ending for him. Yeah. Because 
I'm a human being and yep. my feelings about him are what they are, whatever, you know, we can always, you can always make up for the past. You yeah. know, there's, there's, there's so much of that that can, um, that can still transpire for him. And you root for that. You root for comeback stories and second chances. And I think we're a culture that's very much about that. So good for him. Yeah. If he's, if he's, if he's found a new way to look at things and, and, and go about life feeling better about himself for his own sake, that's what I care about. Yeah. I don't care if he made events wrestling yeah. or not. Yeah. Same. I, I agree. Um, we, we, Flair just beat Luger. Uh, so we, I'll be honest with you. We've done a lot of talking over this show. I mean, we've talked about some points here and there. Talked about Luger get, going into the Hall of Fame. Flair joined AEW recently. We talked a lot about 2023 and wrestling in general. Um, Jim Ross and Bob Cottle here kind of recapping what took place in that finish. Flair had his feet on the ropes. Um, Luger coming up short in the... Uh, Look at this, my watch. What does putting your feet on the ropes impact the? <laughs> oh, yeah. My Apple Watch. Yep. Every time I talk, it always does something. Uh, yep. I've been it effectively before. puts more of the weight on the upper body, which is being used to make the pin. <laughs> Good call. That that's fucking that's on, it. On top of its game. That's from Reddit.com. Look at that. Hell Here's yeah. what I found. What is feet on the ropes? <laughs> that's hilarious. Thanks, Siri. Um, arena filing out here. We got some. We got a few moments. I think there's going to be a post-match Ric Flair interview. Um, in the locker room, as we got about you know nine minutes left for of the this, DVD, for, yeah, for the <laughs> for this watch long here. Um, let's close out with some thoughts on what you would like to see in wrestling overall in 2024. Daryl, you go first. I like to see, uh, of course, I'd like to see Punk, you know, main event, you know, either night one of WrestleMania or night two of WrestleMania. He can have night one. Cody and Roman's taking night two. That's my opinion. Oh, of course, definitely. <laughs> I mean, I was just like hearing your your own. You can put Cody and Roman in the fucking parking lot on night two. All right. Yeah, as long as it's main eventing. As long as it's main eventing, I yeah. don't care. But go ahead, continue. Yeah, uh, and that's uh, pretty much it, as I can think of. You know, because I you like... want to see any ma- any particular matchups you want to see in WWE and um, AEW. Is there anybody that you'd like to see do, go to a different company? Well, you know, as a matter of fact, you know, since you brought up, you know, some guys coming back to de- wanting to come back to WWE, I like to see Samoa Joe come back to WWE because Triple H is, you know, one of one of Samoa Joe's favorite people. I mean, that he ever watched, you know, except for Vince McMahon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, J- yeah. J- I I would like to see Joe go back. Uh, yeah. Although I think he they're kind of using him pretty solid in AEW right now with 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 MJF. But yeah, um, any matchups you'd like to see? In 2024, I like to see LA Knight versus Logan Paul. I mean, you know, for- let's talk about that for a minute. Logan Paul is he the greatest celebrity to ever wrestle? That's caught on. He's caught on so quickly. It's like when you watch him, you look at him and you're like, he's only been doing this is like his fourth match ever. In the interest of time here, yes, that's all. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. That's okay, yeah. Easily the greatest celebrity. So you'd like to see LA Knight, Logan Paul, WrestleMania? Absolutely. Okay. Who do you think is going to win the men's Royal Rumble and the women's Royal Rumble going to WrestleMania next year? Well, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a tough one for the women's, but uh, I think um, maybe uh, I have to guess Bailey, which I don't think is going to happen. But That's a good guess. I think what she's been doing lately, I think Bailey. Getting a Royal Rumble win would be nice. Who do you think is going to take it for the men? Uh, there's two that come in my mind. 
either CM Punk or Cody Rhodes. Okay. All right. So who you think? So if if Punk wins, who you think he's facing? Seth Rollins, no doubt about it. All right. And if Cody wins, who you think he's facing? Roman? Yeah, definitely Roman. Okay. Because he definitely would want to finish the story by beating Roman. All right. Just share your thoughts on what do you want to see in wrestling in 2024. What do I want to see in wrestling? Um, I'll go a little bit, a couple prongs here, oh, a couple hits here. Um, I'd like to see uh, the completion of the WWE media rights, where I would my wish list would be to see Raw on Amazon Prime. That would be cool. Okay, be a nice evolution of the business and yep. WWE's uh, always kind of seeing around the corner and trying new things. Uh, that would be one. Uh, number two, um, I would like to see, to kind of go back on Daryl's point of maybe a, a new debut or something like that, or someone uh, come back to the WWE. Um, I, 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 I was interested in maybe MJF coming to the WWE. I'm not really so much yeah. anymore. Um, He's kind of cooled off for me. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know if I'm terribly interested in, in, Anyone specific from AEW, but I think we've talked about Okada being a free agent. Maybe I'd like to see him come to the WWE. Um, that would be awesome. And then number three, this one's a little bit on the beaten path, but I have a soft spot for the uh, the Survivor Series as an event. I'd like to see the Survivor Series graduate to the likes of its fellow Big Four uh, wrestling shows and see itself in a stadium in 2024. Yeah, that'd be that pretty be cool. Awesome. Um, as far as cool. Royal Rumbles go. Um, I think Cody Rhodes is winning it because I think no one thinks he's gonna just because he won it last year. Um, oh. That's really the driver. I know you're not a huge fan of that. There's definitely different ways to go about it. Yeah. Um, I just think that's just kind of my prediction. Cody's yeah. gonna win it because no one else thinks he will. In the same way that CM Punk won his second Money in the Bank, no one really thought he was gonna win it because he'd already won it. I think that's. I, I think that could be a way to go. I'm not saying it should, but yep. I'm just gonna predict it. Uh, on the women's side, they're safe. They're, they're, those are safe. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes the simplest thing is the most direct. You want to go. You want to get to where you need to go. Go in a straight line. Yeah. Um, on the women's side, I think there's tons of options in terms of who might win the Royal Rumble. Um, but honestly, I mean, I don't think they'll do. I think that might be the one where you see like a wild card. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just go and say Raquel Rodriguez is gonna win the Royal Rumble, and you might see her against Rhea Ripley again at WrestleMania. Really? You don't think they're going Rhea Becky? They could, and I wouldn't be against that either. I'm yeah. just, I'm just making shot in the dark prediction yeah. on that okay. one. I have less of a, I have a less of a confident feeling in who might win that one as yeah. I do the men. Where the men, I kind of, it's Cody, it's maybe Gunther, Punk. I was gonna are, say, I got Gunther. I think Punk's. See, Punk and Cody are obvious for me as the men. Like they're both obvious, right? And I think, I, I, I like to go with the. I like to go with not an obvious choice, but. A deserving choice that I think would help with his progression, and it also ties into his story in the Royal Rumble last year, and that was yeah, Gunther. It's true. No, you're 100 percent right. Gunther went from number it one. You know, well he he way. went bell to bell and 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 came up short and lost to Cody. Mm-hmm. And I think with him as the Intercontinental Champion and what he's been able to do with the title, and in many respects, really bring it back to its former glory. With the the, the type of the types of matches he's having with a lot of these guys, definitely matches with Gable, Rey Mysterio, Ricochet, the one he had with Miz recently, which I didn't think was going to be that good. It was pretty damn fucking good. Yeah, Sheamus, Drew, you know, list goes on and on. I think, I think, him graduating, as you put it, to 
the main event with and bring the Intercontinental title with him, you yeah. know, and 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 I think the Royal Rumble could help him in that regard. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be egregious to say that Cody would win. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. And it wouldn't be egregious to say that Punk would win. And I think the I just are, think those are too obvious. Yeah, and I think to your point, not for the sake of being different, but like like Daryl mentioned, the year where Brett and Luger tied it. Like we're gonna always remember that. That was like an outlier thing. Like remember that year when it was tied. Like, yeah. Who, if a Gunther win with some sort of intercontinental title implications were, were brought in, just as an example, remember that year where maybe Gunther put the intercontinental title on the line with his World Rumble victory? You know what I mean? Yeah. It, there's lots of things that could happen yeah. that make it different because it is an annual event. Yeah. Um. So from that spirit, I, I'm on board with, with, with ideas for Gunther because he's more, most importantly, I don't say deserving. He's earned his his, yeah. his keep to, to be uh, a main player. I like the Bailey, um, the Bailey pick, based on where they've been going with her. Yeah, yeah. Um, would that be too obvious? I don't think so. Yes and no. I mean, yes in the sense that I, I don't know. I feel like I, I I I feel like I feel like her winning would have to come at the expense of the group of damage control, meaning like that will be like the straw that breaks the camel's back for them to finally like, yeah, to, to, to separate themselves from her, um, which I think would be a good story arc for that, for that match. Um, I would like, I wouldn't mind seeing a surprise return in that, in the women's match to, for a Royal Rumble victory, that being Sasha Banks or Mercedes Monet or whatever. You know what I mean? Give me some Sasha Banks in there, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I think that would be kind of cool. I wouldn't mind even like an underdog or someone like a dark horse like a Natty winning it. Um, That girl needs her flowers every time she steps out there. Yeah, so um, I'm a little more torn on the women. Um, but let's get a natty mania movement. We got that would be pretty mania, cool. Yesel mania. Yeah. Let's get a natty. Yeah, that would be. Movement. Yeah, exactly. Kind of along you know those lines. Mean? Like she's been there for so long, she hasn't reached the big one, or she's come close, or whatever. She's blah, won blah, the blah. title a bunch of. She's times. She won the title a bunch of times, but they haven't really meant anything. A WrestleMania, a WrestleMania moment. moment. Is a whole other exactly. Um, as we're watching this video package here of the event, Starcade, uh, with about twenty seconds. seconds left or so before this watch along ends. Thank you all. Um, but to wrap things up. What I would like to see in 2024, um, the continued path of continuity and surprises um, from the storytelling with WWE has been refreshing and using fresh faces and Amen to that. And, and using people that are popular. That Like Triple H was recently quoted as like he learned something from Vince, like be the fan when you're booking and what the fans want to see. And I want to continue seeing that because I think since – Triple H has allegedly taken over the creative aspect of the company. We've seen some more exciting and more engaging programming. Yeah. Um, in the last year and a half or so. Of course, absolutely. So we'll I would like to arm. see that more. I want to see AEW bounce back and see them find an identity, like you said, as well as as well as Yeah, I'm definitely on board with that. Yeah, find an identity, but also separate themselves from being like the the be the true alternative that you're meant to be instead of riding on the same highway as WWE 
Maybe you should take the bike path instead. Yeah, don't worry about how other people see you. Just be you. Yes, exactly. Because there's a reason why you gained as much popularity as you did from the get-go, from the start. You know what I mean? You you were you you there's a you market had a f- for some of what makes them unique. And exactly. They're, they're not exactly their niche audience. Yeah. Stick to that and grow from there. Yeah. Okay. Instead of trying to be something that you're not that's on the other channel. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing some big free free agent surprises like an Okada. I'm kind of on board with you with the whole Amazon thing. That would be kind of cool. Raw going to streaming. Um, I just want to see. I mean, wrestling has grown and it's be, and it's continued to be pop. I just want to see the same path that they're kind of been going on in the last year or so um, as a whole. Yeah, I agree. I think I might have to say something that's worthy of a closer here is that I don't know if you ever watched the show The Office. No, I've not. But um, I might have said this in the last episode. might be criminal that I haven't. But... It's fine. But then the very last episode, um, Ed Helms' character says, as it's kind of ever, they're closing up and saying farewell, he says to the camera, he's like, I, I wish there was a way to know you're in the good times before you left them. And I think we're doing a good job as wrestling fans with podcasts and the internet and social media and the peacock and everything else of recognizing with our community of wrestling fans that we are in the good times. Yes. And we've entered that. And let's keep recognizing we're here and let's enjoy it as long as possible. Um, And because it's going to, it's, you know, it's a special thing we share together and and there's no reason why, um, you know, we can't continue to break bread over it and enjoy each other's company over something that we all love. Damn, that was a great closer. Yeah, hell of a closer. I don't think I could really follow that other than thanking all of you for pressing play, hitting download. Thank you for uh, trekking along on this Starcade 88 watch along. Hope you guys all have a safe and happy holiday. Got a lot of fun things planned for 2024 as we we, we continue this uh, nostalgic path of uh of of retro wrestling thoughts shared with all of you so on that note justin daryl thank you for uh for for taking part in this oh it's my pleasure it was great to be back at kicking out in two and i hope in some day around in the near future i'll be able to come back always an invitation planned for you as well um thank you all for joining us and uh wishing you all a very merry christmas a happy new year happy holiday whatever holiday you celebrate let me be politically correct here i hope that you have a joyous one with the ones that you love and uh, i think it's about that time that we put this down for the three count and we'll see you all in 2024